Charlie said the Charlie said Yeah, no. you know what? Here's the message for Charlie. Off. Honestly. Off. Race fans, and welcome to another edition of Motorsport 101. Tonight, uh, Dre has had to hand the keys over once more, so it's Adam Johnson in the hot seat for tonight, whilst Dre's stuck at a bookies somewhere, staring at a small TV screen, presumably watching Champions League football, given we're recording this on a Tuesday night. But not to worry. After what happened at the weekend, we'll get into that. We had no shortage of people queuing up to tag in as a sub. So, first up, the other one of the regular three musketeers is with us tonight. It's Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. Yep. Hello, hello. Tuesday night. Happy the World Series is heading back to, of all places, Cleveland. But yeah. Hey. Save the day! <laughs> <laughs> and... There's your spoiler as to who's subbing in for us tonight, who's tagging in tonight. He was insistent on doing this. We were like, oh, we're going to... Dre might have to miss recording this week. And RJ was like, I'm in, I'm in. So once again, it's it's our super sub. He literally always delivers for us. This is a guy who we've messaged five minutes before recording before when King's laptop just blew up. And he's, he's been in for us. So it's super sub. RJ O'Connell, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I've always been glad to be compared to Roberto Moreno and Mimo Gidley. I'm actually honored by this. And I'm feeling great. <laughs> I've got I've got my Williams Martini shirt to celebrate the uh, the imminent appointment of America's next honorary F1 driver Lance Stroll. I'm feeling good. I'm ready. He's feeling good tonight. I'm really he's feeling I'm pumped. Ready to tear into this dumpster fire that was the Mexican Grand Prix. Which, which uh, went we from, all are. Which, we all are. Which, just hold. It went from zero to five hundred in nothing. It went to yeah. zero. It went from zero to straight down the toilet in about yeah, yeah. 0.3 seconds. Like, like compared to the last week's episode, things seem so bright. But you know, somebody paved over paradise with a dumpster fire. <laughs> they paved paradise, put up a parking lot with a bin in it, and then the bin was set on fire. And then they put that's up basically a one in a nutshell for the moment. But we are gonna get to that pretty soon. Just hold your horses, guys. I know. I feel like I'm letting like attack dogs on the leash right now. Hold just for a little bit longer. We've got some better things. Well, actually, um, we've got some things to talk about before then. For First off, we've got to get the important stuff out of the way. Uh, thank you guys all for downloading and locking into this episode. Of course, if you have not already, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes and on SoundCloud. And you can also catch us on other audio mediums, including Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and uh, I believe uh, a dedicated Xbox podcast app. So if you, want to, if you want some podcasts to listen to whilst you're playing your fours or six or your F1 2016, whatever, get us on there. You can lock into us via there. Uh, in terms of social media, you can find us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101. At Twitter, uh, twitter.com forward slash motorsport underscore 101, because some ass has just the regular motorsport 101. It's one of those accounts where it's like, when was the last tweet? 6.5 years ago. Yeah, it's it's one of those egg accounts. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just an egg. So don't don't tweet us. Don't tweet the egg. He will not reply to you. Uh, tweet motorsport underscore 101. Normally, Dre will reply to you. Um 
unless you're what's the name of that guy deluded ham caper watch or something or other <laughs> i'm a massive ham caper it's just it's it's funny right now he's one of those trolls where it's like it's just quite funny to play around with him it's just like look at it it's just like poking it with a stick like this is just amusing i only want to hear but- the f1 hot takes of some accordion player from boston <laughs> <laughs> Those are oh, all the God. hot takes Actually, that matter, surely. Random story. I watched the Mexican Grand Prix in Boston with Sarah from the Grid Girls podcast, and we were watching it uh, in this bar, and some random ham caper was watching. Actually, I shouldn't say ham caper. He was a really nice Lewis Hamilton fan. He wanted <laughs> Lewis to win, but, you know, he appreciated Nico Rosberg. <laughs> you found one? Yes. Yes, I found one. Holy shit, they exist? <laughs> Yeah, he worked in the bar. It was awesome. Wow, that's amazing. That is quite remarkable. It must be only in Britain here. It must be a tribal thing. Between that and Tiffany Dell, of all people, going off script and supporting Rosberg, that's pretty crazy. Um, Also, if you really like the show, and there are some people that do, which is really, really nice, uh, if you really do like the show... You can, of course, consider supporting us directly via our Patreon. That'll be patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Give them your money. Uh, There's a... Yes, there's um, the list of various perks and that. It's basically you get rewarded for, you know, pledging your loyalty to us and helping us make this show every week. It makes it that much easier and that much better every week. So we appreciate everyone who does so. Uh, there's all sorts of reward. I believe there's T-shirts being sent out very soon. There's um, There should be exclusive content at certain points coming up. Maybe live streams in the new year. It's all good stuff. But understand, if you, uh, you know, feel like you can't do that, you can't afford to, don't worry about it. Realize that whenever you share this around on social media, if you, you retweet this out, retweet a link to the show, post about it online, tell tell people you know about it, fellow race fans, that's still massive for our show as well, and we appreciate that just as much. So thanks, everyone, for locking in tonight. Let's get things underway. We're keeping it 101. And straight into Keeping It 101. And uh, RJ, I'm in a way, well, in many ways, I'm glad you've been able to make it for this week. But having spoke to you a lot about this over the weekend, there's one really good reason why I'm glad to uh, for you to be on tonight. One of your favourite series, a series that you are pretty much a doyen in, in terms of our uh, little group, our Slack chat and our, you know, alt racer community on Twitter. The Super Formula Series in Japan had its big finale over the weekend. What went down? It was really great. I would say that, okay, so we had the Jaff Suzuka Grand Prix, a two-race doubleheader. Um, The Jaff Grand Prix has been an event that's existed in some form or fashion since 1969. Um, Sir Jackie Stewart is a former winner of the event, as are guys like Kaz Nakajima, Kazuyoshi Hoshino, Andre Lauder, stuff like that. Um, This is a two-race final round of the season at Suzuka, where going into this uh, final weekend, we had realistically six drivers that could take the championship. Uh, Twelve were mathematically eligible, but they had to win both races. And also some of them had to score pole position in both times, and it wasn't going to happen. And it turns out that the first of those two races was ultimately the one that decided the championship. Yuji Kunamoto takes the first win of two on Sunday, takes the points lead from his title rival and his Super GT co-driver Yuhi Sekiguchi, 
And he goes on in the second race to win his very first Super Formula Championship for PMU Saramo Inging Motorsport. And Kunamoto has been one of those drivers who's always had the potential for greatness. Um, he's a Toyota-backed young driver. Um, his brother, Keisuke, of course, was considered at one point a can't-miss F1 prospect, won the Macau Grand Prix, raced in Formula Renault 3.5, but unfortunately, Keisuke ran out of money and had to stop racing several years ago. Uh, but it looked like Kunamoto was going to be destined for great things. Like, he won... He has a record in all Japan F3 where he won the first 10 races of the season in succession going on to win the title in 2010. But it seemed like he never really turned the corner until this year in Super Formula. He was very, very consistent, ended up winning two races, got a great start in the first race, went on to lead all 19 laps and, of course, go on to take the championship with a sixth place finish in the final round. So great job for Yuji Konamoto to take what was a extremely competitive championship fight. But, of course, um, he wasn't the big draw that everybody was focused on going into this season. That would be one Belgian Formula Sim Racing alum, one former GP2 Series champion, Stoffel Van Dorn of Docomo Team Dandelion Racing, who ended up winning? Oh, thank God! I, I thought you were going to say Noreen Carlton. <laughs> oh, we'll get to him in a second. Actually, we'll get to him in a second. Um, so Stoffel Van Dorn, in his final race in Super Formula, holds off Andre Lauderer at the line by eight tenths of a second to win the last race of the season, his second win of the year, and his last race before he steps up to F1 full time with McLaren Honda. It will not be his last race in Japan, as some have said, because of course. Barring any total disaster, he will be back at the Japanese Grand Prix next year and perhaps maybe blowing the doors off Fernando Alonso. Sad face. Um, <laughs> Van Dorn ended up finishing fourth in the championship. Uh, he got he got punted by Sakaguchi in the first race, which killed any chance of him taking the title. Um, but he still finished as this best Honda driver with Honda still being like a full step behind all the Toyota teams. He won two races and he finished very well in his first year in what I consider a true professional championship, not like Formula V8 or GP2, which are clearly developmental series. Like these are like professional championships. Like just look at the field of like Lauderer, Nakajima, Kamui Kobayashi. These are all guys who have like WEC experience and have yeah, won top level experience. Right. Yeah. And that's. And that and Van Doren put the series over the speed of the cars, the professionalism, the drivers like there's mm. there's a lot of guys who aren't maybe so much household names in the championship. And it, for that, the series kind of gets written off as kind of this amateur hour, like auto GP ish sort of thing. And that's not really the case of all. I, I'd like to mm. think that at one point, um, Super Formula and its predecessors were actually a more effective feeder series for F1 than the international F3000 championship, which was Formula One's last stepping stone. It's official last stepping stone at the time. It really kind of feels that way. Like from what I've known of the Super Formula, I've not been able to like of the Japanese series. I've, I've tried to, I've always kept a, a great affection for Super GT. I'm a big fan of that series, but what I've seen of Super Formula the cars look magnificent. They look like kind of turn of the 2010s Formula One cars. And the series has always been with, you know, littered with great kind of talent. And it just, I don't know about you, but I find it amazing how 
like Japan has a constant slew of Grand Prix level drivers, and yet none of them have been able to make that extra step forward to be a sort of world champ level driver. It, do you think, can you see anyone in the current class that can do that? Oh gosh. Um, well, I will say that the driver that I'm keeping my eye on most is probably going to race in Super Formula or GP2 next year. Um, he is Tadasuke Makino. He is 19 years old. He was one of the top rookies in all Japan F3 this year. He just made his step up to GT500 competition and became the youngest podium finisher in the history of the category, breaking a 20-year-old record held by Ralph Schumacher. Um, Makino has tremendous wet weather potential. He was really wringing it out of, like, lesser-equipped cars in Formula 3 this year. And even, like, race car engineering Sam Collins thinks he could be in for a shout at a Honda-backed F1 drive at some point in the future. And I believe he's that good. Um, but of mm. course, it's still got to come down to how his next few years develop because, well, Nobuhara Matsushita was a driver with great potential that's kind of unfortunately fizzled out this year in GP2. Um, yeah, um, it just go. Cool. Yeah, it was just it, it was just disappointing. And I know that Japan has had like a lot of like say what you will about like the form of some of their drivers like Satoru Nakajima takuma sato and the like but they- i liked sato when he first came on the scene i really liked he, he was uh, one thing i've always noticed about J- japanese drivers in in grand prix racing is they just they have a real sort of polite humbleness off the track and on it that their, their bravery is absolutely second to none i mean some of the moves sato went for that's why he was one of my boys back in the day yeah and Kam- he, he was genuinely like he was the procuser to guys like perez now <laughs> kamui kobayashi was the same way too of course yes. in F one and yeah. from what i've seen of sekiguchi who's one of my boys like he would fit in right right in with that mold but of course he's a tw- I think, did i have sekiguchi as a as an outside pick in the draft this year um you had rio hirakawa Hirakawa, yeah. Yes, who yeah. is brilliant in his own right, but in a much different way because he's kind of like more cerebral and smooth at the wheel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Back on track with this final race of the season, though, Van Dorn takes the win over Lotterer. We knew that it was going to be Stoffel Van Dorn's last seri- race in the series. Um, but we may have seen the last also of Andre Lotterer after 14 seasons in what is now Super Formula. He told reporters of Autosport Web of Japan that he's not really sure of what he's going to do after this year. As we'll talk about in a bit, Audi Sport pulled out of World Endurance Championship and he was basically the ace of that team. So his future is still very much up in the air and he may not have the luxury of being able to do his double campaign in Super Formula and WEC depending on where he signs. Also, he turns 35 next year. Like, he's already done a lot. He's a former champion of the series. He's the winningest foreign-born driver in the history of the championship, stretching back to the early 70s. Um, He arguably should have been a two-time champion, but he lost a 2013 title on the dumbest potential tiebreak system I've ever heard of. He's he's done a lot, and that's not even including his three Le Mans titles, his World Endurance Drivers Championship with Audi, his two Super GT titles. This was a guy who, amazingly, neither F1 or Champ Car wanted back when he was a 20-something, and he's made his legend in Japan. And we may have seen the very last of him in this championship, just depending on what happens. But I think... He's definitely got a lot more in the tank, but I wouldn't be surprised if he decided to walk out on top of his game in this championship. 
Mm, and that'd be a way to, a way to go out. I always think it's quite. You have to respect a driver who kind of chooses to walk away at the top of their game. A lot of them are almost like pro wrestlers in that they, they just can't retire. Do you know what I mean? They can't tear themselves away, and in the end, they just end up doing more damage to their legacy than you know improving it. Be so. Sure. <laughs> I mean, one of many examples. I mean, yeah. Is it Terry Funk still wrestling? Oh, Terry like, Funk. Terry Funk's not giving it up anytime soon. No, he's, he's literally going to die in the ring one day. Oh, I'm pretty sure. God, that's um, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, it's great to hear from the the Super Formula updates. I basically rely on RJ for any updates about the Super Formula series. I'm like, where can I watch more of this? And I made a promise over the off-season too, if I have some some spare time, which I probably will over Christmas, just sit down and watch some of the races because they're really good racing, yes, guys. I would check out, um, if you're wanting a race that has a lot of wheel-to-wheel action, I would check out the third round of the season at Fuji Speedway. And if you want to see an incredible individual performance, check out Round Sits at Sportsland Sugo. Um, where it's a race that Yui Sekiguchi wins. This one gives him the championship lead. He builds up a huge margin at like 20 laps in, and then there's a safety car that wipes out his entire lead, and he's the only car that's yet to take a pit stop because the cars can't go the full way on a on one tank of fuel. So, what so he there, just, there is at least one mandatory stop. Right. So what he does is he basically just goes a second a lap faster than the rest of the field for the next 34 laps nonstop <sighs> to build up the Delta and come back out with the lead with seconds to spare. It was truly Schumacher-esque. And at, That's it, outrageous. Yes. Reminds me a bit of uh, Jamie Winkup this year at the Bathurst 1000 before all the shenanigans went down where he had to... He was in a scenario where he had to, I think he had to pit one more time than the rest of the field. And it was a similar scenario. He was lapping on speeds that would have put him on the front row in qualifying. Like literally it was outrageous seeing him see, like that's for all we say about Jamie Winkup, when he's in that form, you're like, that's like, okay, this is where he's like up there with Peter Brock level. That's what makes him that good. And it was a similar sort of thing. It was jaw dropping. And it was almost like if he wins now, no one's going to complain. But obviously we know what happened next. But those sort of drives, it, it doesn't matter almost if they're that dominant. You're like, well, okay. You, you kind of got to applaud him for that, really. Right. Those are so, two races I would highlight. Also, shout outs to Kamui Kobayashi. It took him until the last race of the season, but he finally scored a point after at the end of a wretched season. And uh, yes, and Johnson King, um, I want you to take a guess as to what um, the the difference in score between Kamui Kobayashi and his teammate Narain the King was in the 2016 oh season. <laughs> oh uh, was it one? <laughs> um, it was. Kamui Kobayashi, one point. Narain Karthikeyan, five. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I will say Narain Karthikeyan came good. <laughs> I will say this. If you had if you had uh, laid the scenario out to anybody, like, in the fall of 2012, at the peak of Kobayashi's popularity, and when Narain yeah. Karthikeyan was just slogging it with HRT you would have that was been when Kobayashi laughing. got the podium yes. at the Japanese Grand Prix wasn't it yes. yeah <laughs> Kobayashi the only driver in the field with an F1 podium and he is he just avoided going pointless for the season because wow Sunoco Team Lama were trash they did not get around the new Yokohama tires at all and they oh, had man. to like change team principles <laughs> with like two rounds to go in the season it was bad for them Wow, that is, okay. that is look at the results. Um, 
Karthi Kane had a podium this season? Yes, it was a podium. <laughs> it was a podium at Okayama International Circuit, formerly TIAIDA. What? Yes. What I mean, it counted what? for half points, but it's still a podium nonetheless. <laughs> the guy's got experience oh. at this level, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm speechless. Anyway. That's... Yeah, Super Formula pretty ridiculous. was pretty great. It generated some ridiculous results, a worthy champion, some great individual drives from two stellar rookies in Van Dorn and Sakaguchi. Um, check it out. Check it out next yeah. season. Yeah, definitely. I, I cannot agree more with that. And I'm going to try and do the same thing as well and finally get around to locking into more Super GT. Now, for a slight change of pace, um, that was, you know, real racing. and It was really good, really informative. I'm now going to talk to you about a game that is barely racing. It's a new video game that's technically not released because it's on Steam Early Access. And it's a game that I heard about last week after we'd finished recording episode 63 and after we'd recovered from our faces hurting after the amount of laughter. Um, King, do you remember me telling you last week about a game called My Summer Car? Yes, the game that could change the face of simulation motorsport forever. Sim racing is never (laughs) going to be the same again once this dropped. Um, Basically, I found... uh, I just saw a tweet about, oh, My Summer Car is going into early access. Okay. Um, And... I clicked on the link and I found the description for it. And I'm just going to read you some of the description now because I've actually bought and started playing some of this game. It's on sale at the moment. Um, I think it's on sale. No, it's it's up on Steam Early Access. It's $10.99 at the moment. I think I got it for £9.80 over the weekend. It was on sale. Um, here's, here's some of the description for you. My summer car is the ultimate car owning, building, fixing, Tuning, maintenance, and permadeath life survival simulator. So, yeah, good start. You start the game with hundreds of loose parts and assemble both the car and engine. So, so far it seems to be James May simulator. Not only do you need to maintain your car, but yourself as well. Sausages, beer, and sleeping will do just fine. Okay, this really is James May simulator. Um, if everything goes well, you have a working car, which you can use for various 1990s Finnish countryside summer activities. Oh yeah, did I mention it's set in Finland in 1995? Because reasons. Uh, it kind of reminds me in that respect, having played it a bit, kind of reminds me a bit of OMSI. You know that bus simulator that Nerdcube really likes? Like it's set in like a really specific part of Germany and it simulates the routes. Yes. Like it kind of reminds me of that in that it's set in a very specific, like you can tell the developers, it must be quite a small team of developers. It's pretty low budget. It's made in Unity. The graphics aren't that great. You know, it's 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 clearly pretty low budget. Uh, it kind of reminds me in that respect of that film, The Castle, that old Australian comedy film, The Castle. Pretty low budget, pretty low release, but a really, really good film nonetheless. And this game, you can tell whoever was behind it used to do this, used to mess around in the Finnish countryside, grew up as a car guy, building cars, driving around Finnish country roads, which are effectively rally stages. Like, literally, you want to know why Scandinavians, so many Scandinavians become racing rally drivers? Like, it's obvious after playing this game, every road they have in the back in the back Look countryside is rally stages. Kinkinen. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> like, literally, I, I did, I recorded, I'm going to do a little Let's Play series on it for my YouTube channel. And today, uh, because you start off with the project car, my summer car, but you obviously have to build it. So at first it's in bits, you know, but you have a van to go and buy parts and, and buy food and stuff with, mostly beer. Um, and I was driving that around some country roads and I'm like, this is basically Dirt Rally Van Edition. This is basically it. And like, um, so where's the rest of the... <laughs> Yeah, 
Various 1990s Finnish countryside summer activities, basically doing stupid things under the influence of alcohol. Yeah, there's a lot of alcohol in this game. There's also a button where you can flip people off. There's also a button to urinate, because that's the thing, because it has this kind of like Sims, GTA San Andreas thing where it's like you've got a hunger meter, a thirst meter, a urine meter, because of course... um, And it has this kind of, like, it's a really weird, like, here are some of the features, right? First off, there's a warning. This game is not for fainted heart. That's what the description says. Severe car fever is required to play this properly due to its autistic approach on car building. That's their words, not mine. Some of the features. Full car assembly with over 100 parts. can verify that. Literally, you walk into the garage at the start of the game, an entire engine is spread across the shelves, all in bits, and there's a toolkit. So there's... Dozens of kilometers worth of dirt and paved roads with AR traffic. Rally event to participate in. Permanent death. Yes, this game has permadeath. It's kind of a weird mix of car building. So it's kind of somewhere between car mechanic simulator and, I don't know, DayZ without zombies. It's a very bizarre game. It's not perfect. There's quite a few graphics bugs and glitches and things. Like in my episode earlier, I crashed my van, rolled it upside down tried to push it back up the other way and then sort of glitched inside it and then the car, the van kind of flew up in the air and landed on its wheels again. I was like, okay, I'll take it. So it's definitely a work in progress. It's very rough around the edges. It's silly. It's got a really dry, almost kind of goat simulator level of sense of humor. But instead of goat simulator being like, oh, lol, everyone likes glitchy games, lol. This is really funny. Go put this on YouTube and Twitch, lol. <laughs> like this game's just like, ha, we're just dossing around building cars and arsing around with beer in the Finnish countryside. That's literally it. That's literally the game. But you'd be amazed how... It's just quirky. Like, nothing I say about it is going to do it justice. If so, <laughs> if you've got some spare... Just give it a crack. Or watch my series on it, plug, plug. Um, no, but seriously, like... I don't know if you guys have heard about it beyond what I've just said about it, but it's... It's weird. Like, it's a strange kind of game. It's a very strange kind of game. I don't know if there's... I, I've heard it's based on a game called Jalopy. And I just keep thinking of Jalopnik when I hear that. I don't know if you guys have heard of that game. No. Uh, no, I've not heard of it. Total silence from the rest <laughs> of it. Yeah. It is it's so surreal. Like, going from playing NASCAR Heat Evolution and F1 2016 and Forza Motorsport 6 to this, it's a total world apart, and it's pretty funny for it. I kind of enjoy it for that. So it is it is in early access, so it's still pretty cheap at this point. Give it a go. If you, It's like, it's silly. Very silly, but I kind of like it for that. Anyway, let's get back onto some serious news, I think. Oh, yeah, it is very serious news. King, what have you got? Oh, my evening 101. It's probably about one of the few things that Formula One has actually managed to do right over, well, I want to say past couple of years, past decades, to be honest, where seemingly right now with the WEC and the WRC, um, it never seems like those series are actually stable. It, it depends on whether, you know, the teams actually want to compete or not. And it can <laughs> literally fall apart within a week if someone really like, hangs on its manufacturers, doesn't it? Yeah, where it could fall apart within a week. And funnily enough, Formula One has crafted itself where it doesn't really rely on its manufacturers. Like if... Like, if Mercedes were to pull out tomorrow but still provide engines to the teams that they do, and the same for Ferrari, not much would actually change. Yeah, it wouldn't actually be... It wouldn't actually be that... It would survive regardless. Like, F1 is bigger than any of the teams in it at this point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
the despite WEC what Fer- doesn't feel despite like. what Ferrari wants to say about that, where uh, where it really seems like in the sixties and the seventies when, funnily enough, Bernie Eccleston and Ch- and Colin Chapman really forged this position that you could be a constructor, that you could buy an engine and just build your own car. You didn't have to build the entire thing from scratch. And it wasn't about you having the biggest factory. You could, you know, essentially be a full-time racer and not have to worry about outside forms of income, which again, I do miss those days to be fair. Yeah. Parts of that still exist where constructors still exist. That, that middle class between manufacturer and privateer. Well, it, Privateers don't exist anymore, and yeah, I'm. It's created a situation where Formula One could survive essentially forever. <laughs> it will live on, and to be honest, after this past weekend, it probably needs that sort of security. Um, so yeah, like this is this is all relating to the Dieselgate situation and Audi bailing out. This is pretty. This is pretty big. This is. And we're all talking now, King, about the the whole Formula E thing, and everyone seems to be defecting over there. Like, the technology's not opening up yet, but do you feel like Formula E... Somebody said it in a a kind of half-joking way, but do you kind of feel like at this point, Formula E is almost like the Toyota Prius of world racing in that manufacturers can kind of be like, oh, hey, look, electric cars, we're doing that thing by being in the series. Like, that's not a down on Formula E itself, but do you think that's how manufacturers are using it for now, and then once tech opens up... Formula E is... Formula E's biggest selling point to any manufacturer is not that it races with electric cars. It's that there's a cost cap that you know going uh-huh. into a season how much you are going to spend. And that's very important for big business where a lot is done on accounting. Yes. Like, you could make as big of a fuss as a hype about electric cars. Yes, that is a selling point. That's not a selling point to the manufacturer. Like, this is going to be relevant to development. It's going to be relevant to marketing, which is... One of the main reasons why motorsport exists and the fact that it's going to be good for your brand if you go into Formula E and number two, it won't really hurt your you you know what the financial burden is going to be going in. Yes. Yeah. It's you're very clear on that. And it's almost like it's kind of like a thing that, um, you know, other series have uh, well, other sporting leagues have looked at like the premier league the, the the english premier league for soccer like forget that it's never going to happen but i know the english premiership in rugby has a kind of spending cap for its top clubs so and the thing is with big business a lot of it is down on the bottom line a lot of it is on the accountants it's like we've run the numbers we ain't gonna you know big business is all about getting a return on investment do you know what i yes. mean right. motorsport is a bad investment anyway let alone when you have no idea how much you're going to have to spend to even get a return. Do you know what I mean? Which will be, for most people, a return on investment is winning. You know what I mean? Right, and especially when you're not doing well, that investment becomes even worse and worse. Mm. And even when you're doing well, if if you're doing too well, you'll start getting marginal returns where it's like people are just going to stop caring because they know what the outcome is going to be. Yeah which is it's kind of yeah it's disappointing in that regard i mean we'll talk more about the fallout from the from the dieselgate saga later on you know the two big bits of news we've had in the last week uh for now well it's kind of the elephant in the room that's sitting there eating all the food and flatulating really loudly so guys it's time to deal with it it's time for the formula one mexican grand prix (laughs) 
here we go. Right. I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah, Motorsport 101 talks about Formula One a lot. Yeah. It'd be funny how many times we don't want to talk about Formula One. And uh, this is kind of one of those weeks. I mean, basically, Actually, to this summarize, is one of those weeks where I want to talk about Formula One because this is a glorious dumpster fire. <laughs> it's one of those weeks where we either want to talk about it to get it off our chest or just laugh because what else are you going to do? Basically, I've written at the top of the show notes for this, for the main event topic for the Formula One Mexican Grand Prix, state of your sport, mate. Because literally, oh my God, it like, like... Okay, let's start with one of what should have been probably the big story of this event. Okay, of course, Lewis Hamilton gets the win. You're probably not surprised by that. He was fastest of everyone in qualifying. He was probably the strongest car all weekend. Does Keeps doing what he has to do to take the championship down to the final round. Nico Rosberg, on the other hand, the, the Bottleberg, the choking jokes were coming out in qualifying. He comes back, puts it on in second. Under fairly consistent pressure for long parts of the race, Finishes second again, does exactly what he needs to do. He's still there. And he's he's got a situation now, King, where a result in Brazil, a win for your boy in Brazil, who's got a pretty good record there and yep. whose title rival has never won there, title number one's his. And you've got to say it was a tough weekend in Mexico, but this, if, if championships are won on your worst weekends, a second place, he's got to be stoked with that. Yeah, like... Having a bad, like, it's not a bad weekend when it, you finish the second. Like, again, mm. we talked about this every episode during, you know, the, the closing of this title fight so far. All he needs to do is finish second for the rest of the season, and the championship is his. Yeah, that is literally, it, it is still, and this is how frustrating it must be for Hamilton. He's trying to strike every single blow he can, and yet Rosberg is still doing exactly what he needs to do. It's still not in Hamilton's hands. And, you know, going into Brazil, it's going to get even more difficult, as I say, because Rosberg is generally pretty strong in Brazil. Hamilton's going to find going to have to find something again, especially given he's never won in Brazil. He's going to need some divine intervention by way of a slowing toy. Oh, wait, Um, he's going to need he's going to need something. uh, Is that Bottas? Oh, my goodness me. (laughs) Cook, you did it again. Your boy, your boy ruined it all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, I, I. Speaking of Cook, I gave him a bit of a, an F five on Twitter the other day by accident. He was like, "We were talk, we'll talk about the, the IndyCar news in a bit," and he was just like, "Oh, guys, what if Connor Daly's not very good?" And of course, for us, lot it's like, "Really? You're gonna step to Connor Daly?" And I was like, "Mate, you're a Bottas fan. Don't, don't be saying that." And just, <laughs> it just got a load of odd retweets, like, "Oh, Savage." I was like, "Oh, I, I, did I just burn?" Okay, Soz, um, except I'm not. But yeah, like, I mean. That should have been the big story of the Grand Prix. Um, and I was, you know, very much impressed with how Rosberg turned it around because there were times during the weekend he did not look like he was there. And it looked like, you know, every single chance for the, oh, Rosberg's mental game is weak, Sky F1 narrative to come true. And there were at times, I mean, David Croft for crying out loud, the Sky Sports guys are almost like, you know, when they're like, oh, we're neutral, but wouldn't it be fascinating if Verstappen beat Rosberg? Oh, it might happen. Oh, what if Hamilton does this thing? Oh, but he has. Oh, and you're like, guys, we know exactly what you want to happen. Just either just be straight up about it and just straight up say, we want Hamilton to win or don't come at us with this bollocks. Do you know what I mean? Just like, do the Globo yes. TV theme. And every time Lewis Hamilton wins, you just played the British national anthem over the television broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, they're not far off that. Lewis but- Hamilton of Stevenage! 
Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, oh dear. We're, that's, that's not the big story of this race. And it's very weird because this is a race where five laps, namely one at the start and four at the end, pretty much define this entire race. The, the rest of it, Oh, dearie me. Yeah, Two it words. was yeah. processional, to say the least. Um, there were not a lot of good passing zones outside the first sector. Um, All I remember is 80% of the TV cameras being Sergio Perez trying to find a way around Felipe Massa and failing. Yes. There's just like, oh, maybe it's... Uh, no. Oh, maybe it's... Uh, no. What about anywhere else? Other? No, dirt, yeah. No. And he's just... Basically, he's in t- he just spent two hours staring at the rear gearbox of a Williams... And I can think of many better ways to spend your Sundays, except if, <laughs> yeah, except if you're an F1 steward, which is, yeah, okay. Like, let's, the, 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 the only way staring at a rear gearbox would be entertaining if, is if gearbox is an innuendo. <laughs> we went there. Oh, we did. Oh, RJ, come on. Did you not listen to last week's episode? Oh, yes, I did. Stu- I was responsible for, for most, of, most of the mess that happened in the last 10 minutes. You're welcome, yeah, by the way. Yeah, because you asked us the questions about which commentator we'd want to commentate on us doing it. <laughs> and that was just after Brennan's question. Shag, marry, kill, which we're not bringing up again. You can go watch, listen to last week's episode. Frankly, I'm amazed we've not been taken down by FOM at this point. We probably will be after the next half an hour because let's get into it. Let's play a game of inconsistent stewarding, jazz music and jazz hands. I've got four, four tiers of it, four controversies arising out of Mexico. Even for Formula One, they outdid themselves this time. Let's start at the beginning. Let's start right at the first lap, right at the first corner, where both the Mercedes went off the track in very different circumstances. Lewis Hamilton spectacularly locked up into the first corner and just straight lined across the grass, completely (laughs) ignoring that turn two existed and getting about a two second advantage on Rosberg right off the bat, partially helped by the fact that Rosberg was forced off the track by Max Verstappen. His name's going to come up a lot in this segment. And, you know, Verstappen doing his usual, I'm just going to pretend this guy I'm racing isn't even there. Goodbye. Um, and Rosberg was like, well, I'm not going to just go straight through the grass because that's cutting the track. So he gets back on. They inv- uh, Let's start with Hamilton because later on in the race, we get down to the finale where Verstappen's tyres have gone off. He's in third. Sebastian Vettel's up in fourth. Daniel Ricciardo's catching both of them in fifth. So they all converge in the final few laps. And we got this pretty entertaining battle, I've got to say. But um, coming down to turn one, Verstappen locks up trying to defend from Vettel, he goes flying, he goes straight through the grass, same route as Hamilton. He gets penalised five seconds. Literally, his car is still warm in Park Ferme at the end of the race. He gets penalised five seconds. Guys, where... What's the difference <sighs> between that and the Hamilton penalty? And don't say the safety car negated it because that's not the point. It's not on what happened. Oh, it just so happened that there was a safety car, so no point. It still yeah, happened. But, but- yeah, it still happened. You break the rule, you get penalized. Hmm. It doesn't like, yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, I just tackled this other player from behind before the referee blew the whistle. But the but the whistle blew, so I'm cool, right? I want to think. Yeah, it didn't happen. It didn't exist. I, I want to think that they kind of just let discretion be the better part of valor in the first incident, which they probably shouldn't have, simply because there was a title fight at stake with Hamilton potentially getting penalized. And in the case of Verstappen and Vettel and Ricardo, not so much. It feels like a non-call. It definitely felt like a non-call on Hamilton. There were other drivers. Nico Hulkenberg raised this issue afterwards. Everyone's sitting there going, 
all because all anyone wants really is consistency. <laughs> Good luck getting that in modern F1. But they um, also don't want the title fight to be decided on a ticky tack penalty. True, but mm. where's the line between the two? If one is true, then what's the other one? You know what I mean? One yeah, of these right. things yeah. is not like the like, other. They could have decided the championship by not calling that penalty. Exactly. Like, and that's, you know, we see that all the time in football. Controversial penalty decisions. Guys go down in the box. Oh, should it have been a penalty? I mean, in football, it's different because you have guys who are actively trying to get the decisions as well. So Terry punches a ball past an Irish goalkeeper. Stuff like that happens. <laughs> It just—he couldn't help it. His hand was just there. His hand slipped. Um, but oh man, this was—I mean, this was a bad start straight away. Uh, interestingly, the incident that was investigated out of turn one was Verstappen running Rosberg off the track. But it was whether Rosberg gained an advantage, not Verstappen. Uh, uh, also, not before you guys say anything. Rosberg forced off at turn one by Verstappen. They investigated Rosberg for gaining an advantage and correctly said, no, he didn't. Can we just get on with it? Well done. Point for FOM there. Well, not FOM. Point for uh, the, the stewards there. The well stewards. <laughs> Except they then penalised Carlos Science for running Fernando Alonso off the road, which isn't that exactly what Max Verstappen did. Yeah. I don't know. Like, it's guys, like I'm the, not the going mad reason, here, but I am mad. Like, but, the know. only reason why you could say that Signs was clearly guilty because it was on a straight. Like, it was on a straight with, and it was grass. The, the yeah. Rosberg was on tarmac runoff, but even so, like, I, I mean, it's Max Verstappen in the wars again, and then he's like, oh, I'm being persecuted. Well, you could just have, like, a quiet race where you don't drive like an absolute twat, and then people probably wouldn't talk about you as much, but, hey, that's impossible for you to do, as we're going to get into more... Uh, in just a second um, like I say he, he gets he gets penalised in the end for locking up cutting the track he's blethering on and every, he's whining and everything I mean it's, it's hilarious how people call other guys whiners we're going to get into that in a minute so so far we're at one correct decision which was Rosberg not being penalised two completely non-calls on Hamilton and Verstappen then we get to near the end of the race which was where do you remember in the US guys where they were like alright fine you're all annoyed at Max Verstappen for moving in the braking area. We're going to actually penalise moving in the braking area, which, let's be clear, is not a new rule. It's not a new rule to penalise moving in the braking zone. It was a rule before. It's just that the stewards decided to relax and ease off it a bit to be like, to be a bit more, I guess, boys have at it. Except that Verstappen took that way past the nth degree, ripped up any general's agreements and shat on them. So the drivers were like, okay, he can't be trusted. Neither can the rest of us, probably. And that's why he deserved driver of the day. He's improving the standards of the driving by taking (laughs) one for the team himself. I find it hilarious that he didn't actually win it this time around, which is quite funny, given that he won it in the US for hitting when he wasn't supposed to and then blowing up. Like, GG, by that logic, you should give driver of the day to UGE Day for the first half of 2006. Um, But... Uh, yeah, you have this. Indonesia you have this just issue sold their uh, their uh, their spam bots to the Netherlands. <laughs> Pretty they got, much, they got to make that Harrianto money back somehow. Hey, he's still sniffing around for a seat next year. That's exactly how he's funding it. It's just like, yeah, keep voting for Max. That's how we do it. But um. Yeah, near the end of the race, you have this pretty interesting battle actually between Verstappen, Vettel, and Ricardo. Ricardo is probably the fastest of three, and we then have a moment at I want to say is it turn four. 
Uh, is it the run out of turn three? It's, I remember the layouts in the New Mexican Grand Prix. It's, it's, it's somewhere in that first sector, and I'm just thinking like, oh my God, Fer- Ferrari didn't actually fuck up Vettel's strategy. Ricardo's catching him. This is going to be a fun battle for the final podium spot. Oh shit. Yeah, this was often- the bandit overshot the corner. Oh no. This was this is basically like after Vettel had run almost like a ridiculous number of laps on the was it the medium or the soft tire? It was he basically the, did a yeah. drive to the tires explode. Except unlike in Austria, the tires didn't explode. Right. So for once, Ferrari's strategy might look was maybe about to work until he encountered Verstappen. We know what happened there. And then Daniel Ricciardo's charging up like a house of fire. He then pulls his attempt to win the Scotty Award introduced last week on Motorsport 101 in honor of scotty mclaughlin on mark winterbottom at on the gold coast you surely should have seen that pass by now ricardo tries his own attempt except vettel moves in the braking zone pretty clearly you can see him move across to the left and try and cut off ricardo they're side by side they're wheel banging it's actually quite a fun bit of racing it looks spectacular ricardo's locked up he's trying not to crash into vettel vettel's trying to squeeze him in they go side by side to the corners vettel holds the position you think, all, fine, all this fair game. Vettel, all this while Vettel is still trying to figure out what's just happened because Matt Verstappen has not redressed the position by gaining an yeah, obvious he just advantage. Yeah. He's just gone. Yeah, like Verstappen, with the, his team, didn't his team ask yes, Verstappen his, to? His uh, team told him to give they, back the position. As well, a not suggestion, give back the position, but. they didn't say it was required. But they sensed a penalty would probably be inbound. But the thing is, the reason why you do that like, just off that basis of the race, uh, you lose so much time in dirty air, you might as well just do an illegal overtake, risk the penalty, and see how far you can break away. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, that's why, like, we saw it at Bathurst this year. Jamie Winkup stayed out in front of the field, even though he had that 15-second penalty, because, hey, best-case scenario, he gets that, he, he's so fast that he overturns it and still wins anyway. And then his team basically tried taking supercars to court afterwards and altering the result in the past. It's just like, well, you know, as long as I'm there, if we get the 15 second penalty overturned, then I was leading on the track. So, and as we know, that never happened. But yeah, it was it was not a good look here. In this case, I find it kind of hard to disagree with the stewards in terms of penalizing Vettel because Vettel got 10 seconds uh, after the race. But weirdly. Verstappen got his five-second penalty before the podium celebration, which led to the hilarious moment where <laughs> Verstappen's in the like the green room chilling with the Merc drivers, like, hey, I got another podium. Look at me. I'm the anointed Jesus of F1. And then some guy comes up and's like, um, Max. Yeah, it was Charlie Whiting. Yeah, Charlie, Charlie Whiting. Whiting rolls in the into the into the cooldown room and basically tells Max, get the fuck out. Mate, and you're not on the podium anymore. What are you doing? At him like he just tried to slide into the DMs and just got a hard pass. <laughs> <laughs> How fitting that we yeah. are recording this on DM Your Crush Day. Really? Oh, yes. God, oh, damn. Ooh, I Where's hope Megan no one misses Twitter. Thanks, King. I, I I hope no one misinterpreted any DMs I sent today. <laughs> <laughs> Megan Klingenberg is going to be opening her Twitter like, oh him again, Jesus. <laughs> And before anyone says anything, no, Laura Trot's married now. I ain't, they're happily married. I'm out. I'm happy for them. It's fine. Totally not. But, you know. <clears throat> anyway, um, the restraining order is still in effect. <laughs> All around me are familiar faces. Uh, anyway, speaking of memes. Yeah, Max Verstappen's face was quickly turned into a meme. But, yeah, on the serious point, like... 
Verstappen gets the five-second penalty almost immediately after the race ends. So they change the podium. Vettel's up on the podium. Yay, I'm third. 24 hours later, he then gets penalized 10 seconds and Ricardo's put up to third. Yeah, but- I was just chilling, watching game five of the World Series, and I get an alert <laughs> on my phone. It says, Vettel penalized. I'm like, what? Like, why was one so easy to implement and the uh- other wasn't? Because with Vettel, you always make the argument that he was trying to overtake Ricardo. Like, it, you're always in that gray area when you're between two cars. Uh, I got you. And Ricardo I, I, was not happy with the way that Verstappen and Vettel were driving ahead of him. Um, yeah, and, no, he, if you've heard his Ricardo was the most heated of them all. Oh, goodness, yeah. <laughs> like, was it just me or was Rachel Brooks just annoying everyone in the post race in the interviews after? Because, like, there was a brilliant section of, uh, like, Rosberg was watching the start on a tape or something and he laughed about something with Hamilton star and Rachel Brooks was like, oh, you're laughing at Hamilton something. And he just immediately went like ice cold, like, no, no, that is not a nice thing to say. Don't put words in my mouth. And I'm like, whoa. Nico genuinely was just like chilling. I was just like, whoa, okay. Badass Nico just turned up. And I'm like, and yeah, Ricardo was like heated with other people. Like there was a lot of bad blood going on after. Yeah, Mostly, I mean, come on. Yeah, I was like, that's the general, like, really, Sky, please, no. Yeah, like, you don't need to shit stir at this point. This is the one race you don't need to add more drama where there isn't any, especially after we got one of the possibly the all-time legendary radio segments from Sebastian Vettel, who's in the middle of all this carnage. He's getting dive-bombed by Daniel Ricciardo. Verstappen just isn't getting out of, it just isn't getting out of his way or isn't redressing the position. You know, like, and so he's getting more and more angry with Charlie Whiting because of the, the non-action from the stewards. And then <laughs> you've probably heard the clip by now. Editing Adam, if you've not put it in the intro, fire yourself now. Um, we've all heard the clip now. We all heard it live. Everyone was just like, yeah, we're going to broadcast that. That's that's going to make for good telly. And it's blown up all over the place. Um like we have King? had multiple levels like, of discourse over whether oh, or not Vettel man. should be punished like, over this. Uh, like, okay, can I just let me stand back, fellas? I've I've oh, got a pipe bomb on this. I've got a pipe bomb on this one. I'm going to sit down cross-legged on the stage. Hi, Colt Cabana. Right, get him. Let's have this out here. Swearing on the radio as a race driver. You're surprised by this, are you, people? Because I saw people after the race, some people were just laughing. They were like, wow, this is amazing. This is hilarious. You tell them, Seb. Uh, Let's not forget, Vettel was fully aware that he blew up on the radio. Within half an hour of the race finishing, in the press conference, he said he'd already spoken to Charlie Whiting and apologised. He's written, it's today come out, he's written letters of apology to the FBI and everything. He's, He's basically said, look, you know, I swore at an official. I swore at the chief of the, you know, the race director. Like, this is a big deal. Like, someone swears at the referee in rugby, that's an instant red card. That's a, at least a sending off. So, you know, that's, that's fair. But at the same time, it's a mix of the, the I mean, the moral outrage about this is just disgust. Like, this is the sport, right? The people want there to be you know why do you think Dre's favourite F1 driver of all time James Hunt is held up as he is 
everyone's like, oh, we need more characters like him and that, which I don't necessarily agree with. I love James Hunt as much as anyone, but I don't necessarily agree with that. But people are like, oh, we need characters. We need people who will show their emotion and, you know, get fired up and everything. And, you know, as if they don't do that anyway when they're behind the wheel of a 210, 220 mile an hour race car being subjected to jet fighter G-forces lap after lap after lap whilst also battling with other cars, whilst also having to deal with strategy, whilst also having to manage a ton of other things. And then one of them drops an F-bomb. <gasps> Think of the children. Oh, yes, think of the children. To the Imagine kids. if he oh, had taken dang. a knee during the British national anthem. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, there are calls now for this potential. He's being investigated by the FIA. His potential is having to be banned a race. He didn't fucking do anything. He just got frustrated at the end of a really long, really frustrating race. Tell you what, most people were dropping F-bombs by that time of the race anyway on social media, let alone when you're behind the wheel of a car, you're exhausted, you, you've been stretched to your limit physically. Let's push these guys, let's watch these guys push themselves to the absolute limit physically and mentally and then get surprised when they get a bit stressed, a bit agitated and use some bad language. Newsflash, go and watch a fucking NASCAR radioactive video right now. NASCAR themselves, they put it up on their official TV shows and they put it up on YouTube and on social media afterwards. There are drivers every single week out there cussing each other, cussing other drivers up, their own teammates. Some of them have rows with their own crew chiefs. I'm not saying NASCAR's full of, like, sweary, shouty, angry people, although if you've seen any of Kurt Busch's particular radio blow-ups, you probably disagree with that. But <laughs> what I'm saying is this is not, like, unique. Like, V8 Supercars, same thing. I've just watched some of the season reviews, and they're uncensored. They leave the radio chat uncensored, and it's brilliant, especially back in the days of, like, Greg Murphy and Russell, uh, Marcus Ambrose and Russell England, Mark Scaife. Bloody hell, those guys turn the air blue. But and they, my and point they're is, already I'm not Australian. glorifying... <laughs> they're, so they're already exactly. prone to swearing anyway. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's the hilarious thing. Like, I mean, what I'm saying is, I'm not glorifying bad language, right? Of course. It's bad language for a reason. But I don't understand this huge kind of moral outcry about it. The FIA threatening to ban him for a race and everything like guys, we're talking about top athletes at the very top of their game in a okay. sport, which okay. is all about being I, pushed to their limits. Like I understand why they're going to ban him for like, they wanted to ban him for a race. They, uh, John Todd just, just kind of parted him like breaking news. Oh, go on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. John Todd, uh, in a statement said that he won't be, he, he won't be penalized for this, but if it were to happen again, it, he will be. Okay. But yeah, so I can see why they're doing this because they're mainly focused on his comments at Charlie Whiting and the FIA, which completely makes sense. I But like when he, you know, you know, I think a race ban is I'm like, I take your point, King. I think a race ban is ridiculous. It's not like yeah, you a take race a race ban for, for dirty driving. Like Roman Grosjean was the last guy to get sat out a race. And that was for causing a huge wreck that nearly decapitated Fernando Alonso at Spa. And that was after think, a series of incidents. It was like, look, got chill. Like you like need to, you need to sit I down for a race. You know, if I would do that, like the FIA just doesn't do they, they, for whatever reason, for they never penalize championship points. 
Yeah, there's another very famous swear word, which we talked about, which I mentioned uh, like immediately after this happened. And the rumor was that Vettel might be punished for this outburst. This is the most hotly contested swear word in motorsport since (laughs) Dale Earnhardt Jr. After the fall race in Talladega and a post race interview when somebody asked him how it felt to win his fifth race at Talladega. And he goes very flippantly without really caring. Well, don't mean shit because my daddy won here 10 times. Then he gets paid. (laughs) 25 championship points and uh, and it may have cost him his best shot at a title with Dale Earnhardt Incorporated what year was that was that that was 2004 2004, the first year of the chase yeah 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 that was the one that Kurt Busch went up winning over Johnson by eight points um I mean my thing is there if it's a post-race interview or a mid-race interview the cameras are on you there's a reporter there you know you're on live tv so you can kind of understand I think my big thing here with Vettel is like he, it's those guys have no idea. In the, exactly, it's absolute heat at the moment. Someone at the FOM decided, hmm, let's press that button and broadcast that to the world. But what's to say that some of the other drivers aren't saying, you know, dropping F-bombs, saying exactly, yeah. you know, other stuff. Yeah, you know. And it's also pretty hypocritical that the director will want to, like, play this sound clip while also wanting to let the scorn rain down on Vettel for saying it in the first place. It's kind of like how NASCAR says how terrible it is that Joey Logano and Matt Kenseth can intentionally wreck each other and that Jeff Gordon and Clint Boyer can get into fights and yet they'll make commercials about it and make yeah. money off of it. Yeah, after Martinsville last year. Oh, well, it's such a it's a disgrace to a sport. We need to really discipline these guys. Martinsville Spring Race this year. What's the first thing in the trailer for the Martinsville, the SCP 500? And it's Joey Logano getting wrecked into the wall by Matt Kenseth. Mm-hmm. You're still going to profit off it, aren't you? So, and you can guarantee this is going to be used in promo clips to come. It's going to be used in highlight packages. To be honest with you, I don't like... I take King's point about it being directed at the officials. That's fair. Like I say, in the Premier League... Uh, in 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 rugby and in other sports, you, you give abuse to the ref, you you're punished and rightfully so. Jose Mourinho is going to get in trouble for this apparently. Well, if, well, uh, well, assuming he lasts the season out, but that's a whole nother matter. Jose Mourinho is going to get in trouble for Vettel's comments. Sorry, Dre. <laughs> <laughs> he's getting his digs in now when he's not here. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know. Like this whole thing, it just proved to me once again that. The sport isn't fun and no one knows what they want it to be. Not even the championship. No, the, the organizers and the stewards don't know if they want it to be, uh, you know, aggressive or not. They're handing out different penalties to different people in the same race. There's absolutely no consistency. There's a, a weird moral high ground where swearing's a bad thing, but we also want drivers to be less robotic. So apparently Max Verstappen telling Vettel he's a, angry child who should go back to school or something that's a like a really petty comeback yeah, it's just yeah, like, like well, your mum's fat like it's this rubbish one can't have their kid eat it too you can't you can't have like oh we're gonna be completely open and transparent but our our guys are gonna be like the picturesque virtue of what we want a racing driver to be at all times Despite, you know, the 100% transparency. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't ask a driver. Like, when you're at that level, and we can't appreciate that. We are as, I'm as far from a Grand Prix driver as, I don't know, Theresa May is from being a compassionate human being. Um, But, like, like, we can't appreciate the stresses, the intensity, the amount of stuff going through the mind and the body in a Grand Prix racing situation. Let alone when you're battling at the end of a race for a podium spot. Like, 
people are surprised that drivers actually get stressed and emotional. That, like, more so than that, why are people... I thought this is what you wanted. Yeah, Is this what people wanted? Yes. I've seen most most of the fan reaction. I've seen, like, why this is now a big deal to us. Like, it, it seems like it's... Kind of oh no, a big I've seen deal. A, a fair amount. I mean, yeah, there is a section of the fan base that's like, this isn't a big deal. If anything, it's pretty funny. And yeah, yeah it kind like of is. There, it, it seems like it's more of a thing that the it FIA seems like the kind of older, are, try, the FIA are trying to keep it PG. <laughs> Which is as laughable as WWE trying to do it. Like, hell in a cell, it's brutal, it's bloody, except they can't bleed because it's PG. Or they can't swear because it's also PG. Like, what? Do you... You can't have. You see this cake here. You can't have it and eat it. You know, like oh man, like the whole thing. It just it left the end of a race under a sour note. The race results were still up in the air for another twenty four hours. It just ah oh, man. Like, I mean, to be fair, there wasn't much to talk about in this race anyway after those final three laps. But really, you take everything away. Those final three laps should have been pretty entertaining. That battle for third was actually quite entertaining when you take it all into account. And then yeah. a mix of inconsistent and crap stewarding and this faux moral outrage about man drops a swear word, more on this at 10. <laughs> like, man drops swear word during intense three car, 200 mile an hour scrap. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like <laughs> they're criticizing someone for cheering because they won. Like, what? It's, oh man, understand it's that one of like, the hottest rising sports in North America is based in England, and it is not uncommon for entire sections of fans to chant your fucking shit. <laughs> exactly. I've been in those stands before. <laughs> well, not, well, when I say entire stands, I mean the terraces at AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've seen some colorful one language day, there. One day. <laughs> one day, yeah. Hopefully in a couple of years. Um, Banger racers, don't come at me. Um, but uh, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. This sport, like, this sport's no fun. This sport really just isn't any fun to watch. And, like, and I'm not saying, oh, let it go. Let everyone swear and do all silly stuff and crash into each other. No, I'm not saying that. I was the guy who was saying a year ago that NASCAR's gone too far with the uh, boys have at it. When you've got guys just deliberately T-boning each other into walls, like, it's just stupid. Like, this is supposed to be the premier stock car racing division, and you've got guys driving basically like banger races. It's just nonsense. But So I'm not calling for that. But, like, IndyCar, I know we bang on about IndyCar, but we do so for a reason. We're right. IndyCar's really good. The racing quality's really good. And it actually has a sense of fun about the series. It's like, you're here to watch motorsport because it's fun and you love it. Drivers here are you allowed go. to showcase their personalities. IndyCar makes no bones about showcasing hey, the rivalry. hashtag is Indie Rivals. Yes, yes. And, you know, there, there are so many moments throughout IndyCar history that if they had, if they were around, um, if some of these people that were outraged about... AJ Foyt must have been sat at home like, really? You're going to penalize him for that? Right, AJ Foyt... I wouldn't have had um, a career. Cussing out Jeff and <laughs> Ready in what we thought was going to be his final race, calling him a goddamn idiot that moved over all over the place of the road. AJ Foyt slapping <laughs> around Eric Leindyke when he knew his guy didn't win. Paul Tracy and Alex Tagliani having a fight oh my God. over oh, yeah. Paul Tracy's oh, yeah. stupid ass driving at San Jose 06. <laughs> Which we can also talk about most of the career of Tony Stewart in NASCAR, Greg Murphy in the supercars. Will Power's the, the, most the, notable moment is Will flipping Power. a double bird. <laughs> flipping off the, yes. 
<laughs> Flipping off people on live TV. The double bird. Oh, the meme that will live forever. Even, yeah. even freaking Coast came at Sura dropped an F-bomb. Yes. Oh, man. Even, like, even Peter Perfect, Scott Dixon himself this season, has thrown the double birds. Thrown the double yes. bird and a wanker. Through the wanker symbol of power. <laughs> oh, which and this was, is before we was, get into guys who. Go on. Which was then later copied by Felix Rosenquist and Danny Ucadell in F3 testing earlier. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Like, I, I find that less offensive than the dab at this point. Um, and we can also talk about, like I say, there's, there's entire careers of guys who are known to be hot headed. John Cleland. In the touring cars, Jesus Christ, that guy, that guy was explosive. Like Greg Murphy, I talk about Murphy a lot, but man, you watch the video of him getting a five-minute penalty at Bathurst 2002, which was a nonsense penalty. I mean, it was like, who has ever been penalised five minutes for anything? And he literally comes into the pit, storms out of the car, screams and cusses all of his crew, and then just storms into a portaloo and slams the door and just has a rage dump. And then literally three minutes later, he gets back out, storms back over his car, skids out a pit lane and he's back in the race and it's just like there you go that was actually quite entertaining telly like let's be honest here let's get down to the real nitty-gritty here isn't part of the reason we watch live sport that sort of sense of anything can happen that yes. sort of, we don't know what to expect that sort of moment of wow something major has just happened and drivers showing that kind of emotion and blowing up about it kind of makes it's like it's the whole art of selling in wrestling right like the whole point of selling in wrestling is to make you convinced that this is a big deal you know what i mean what you're seeing here is a massive moment it's a big occasion it, you should care about this so f1 drivers being criticized for being on snapchat in a press conference and then sort of being criticized for showing emotion in their answers and dropping f-bombs like why should they have any reason to do that? And like the, the worst thing about this with the Vettel thing is this was in the race. This was in the heat of the moment. How do you expect people to police their own language? Like mind your P's and Q's whilst you're doing 200 miles an hour and battling wheel to wheel with two other guys for championship points because you, you're paid by your manufacturer to do that in the toughest race. I'm out, guys. I'm done. That's I'm sick of talking about this, to be honest with you. Your final thoughts, guys? Final thoughts? Um... Note itself, um, FOM, maybe it'll be best if you don't get the team radio of anyone driving against Max Verstappen. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, because he is basically the number one heel in the paddock right now. Um, um, we had genuine moments, like those final three laps in the fallout of it were genuinely non-manufactured, completely spontaneous moments of real, yeah. genuine conflict of drama and, we and it was kind brilliant. Of fucked it up as a collective. Yep. 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 It, it all completely went down the toilet. Like, literally, it was, had. It was gone. probably one of the best ends to a Grand Prix I could remember this season. Like, yeah. It was really yeah. entertaining. Like I say, Ricardo's move, irrespective of Vettel moving in the braking zone and that, and part of it actually made it more entertaining. That was great. That was genuine wheel to wheel racing. It was awesome. And I actually gave Ricardo the Scotty Award. I mean, he didn't pull off the move in the end, but all four tyres locked. He's well in there. Scotty McLaughlin must have been sat at home going, gee, man, that's some pretty good gender right there. Um, but uh, it's F1. This is why we can't have nice things. Um, is there anything else to say from the race, really? Marcus Erickson got slammed out of the points by just one place. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. He yep. was one place away from scoring Sauber's point, first points of the season. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, would have put them ahead of Manor, wouldn't it? On uh, tiebreak. I believe they so. Because they have more 12th place finishes. Yeah. Right. Haas had a, like, had a shitty race. That's why we need to build a wall. Um, 
Wait, <laughs> um, th- what's happening next week? I, I oh, just, and we um, cannot no. wrap up the Mexican Grand Prix discussion without talking about NBC I know Sports exactly what you're about to say. pit reporter Townsend Bell hopping yes. in the ring with two AAA luchadors, including yes. the second incarnation of La Parca, and getting in on some actual wrestling action of his own. He picked up the blue demon mask a la Paul Tracy. And like Townsend looked good, man. Townsend looked good <laughs> for like somebody who had no training. He did like a fucking Wait, Townsend Bell this year. This has been his year. He goes to India as a part timer and leads most of the race. Like, what is this guy? Do? Like, this guy's freaking yeah, Townsend. This, this has been more than just the summer of Townsend. It's been the year of Townsend. <laughs> the year of Bell. Like, and Billy Buck Here's the final thing. Worry about his job security, man. Man, like, and here's the funniest bit. They had all this bad blood in the paddock after the F1 race. They had a wrestling ring set up there. Come on. Oh, you had I bet it on you a they plate. all knew that they were fucked if T Bell stepped in the ring with them. It's just like, <laughs> just it's a, just like Bell. It's a bit like when Kane returned in yeah. 2000. Like, the lights just go down. They're all brawling in the ring, and then suddenly Ta- Townsend Bell just walks down, like, oh shit, right ahead. Towns is going to get, like, wrestling lessons from Dan the Beast Severn, and it's going to be over. Yes. <laughs> RJ, you don't know how much I love you for referencing Dan the B7. And uh, I think, to be honest with you, I quoted, I, I posted that picture of Dan Seven up on Twitter, just that just non, non-plussed look, just like, Dan Seven does not care for your flappery. And that's basically a good way to end that segment, I think. So, just breathe. It's calm. Yeah. I feel like today's session has been good, gentlemen. I feel like we've yeah, worked we out. Yeah, we like we got tropical we, paradise. We, 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 Maybe somewhere so, in the uh, maybe somewhere in the tropics of Southeast Asia. Yeah, but just Asia. before we end this segment, yeah, Dre, here's what I want to tell you. Fuck you, honestly. Fuck you. <laughs> right, right, we're done. On to MotoGP. Okay, okay. Wait, wait. One more thing. One more thing from F1. Okay. <laughs> um. Apparently, rumor is Haas has offered Kevin Magnussen a contract. Oh, the best driver not in Formula One who now is in Formula One. Yes. Could be going to Haas. Okay. Um. I'm all right with this, guys. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I, I King, think, this is I your think, team we're talking about. One of your boys. Uh, now they've mm, taken Hulkenberg from me. Yeah, now, now it's like both my teams are involved. Like, Esteban Gutierrez <laughs> would be, you know, without a seat now. <laughs> and uh, All Renault Mexican would, dream team at Force India? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Team Tequila. Oh, God. And it would also go along with the whole rumor that... Uh, Carlos Slim is still interested in buying Force India from VJ. Welp. I mean, that could happen. Um, and then oh. you have the guaranteed open seat at Renault, which you could effectively drop anybody in now. Yeah, I was going to say, between the spare seat of Force India and the spare seat of Renault, there's about five, six, maybe ten guys in contention from There's Ocon, Verline, Nazar. Not a fan of him going to Force India, to be honest with you, but hey. Uh... Magnuson and to think that Jody they're all backup um, options because they couldn't have Carlos Sainz. Pretty much, yeah. Carlos Sainz was like the cop block to it all. It was just like, hey, you know what? I ain't getting involved. I'm staying over here. And then it was like, well, what about Daniel Kvyat? And Red Bull were like, nah, we're keeping him. And everyone's like, but we thought you hated him. No, not that much to drop him. He's still really good. What about earlier that shut up? Max Verstappen. That's the answer to everything. All right, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. What, why did he win Driver of the Day? Because Max Verstappen. Oh, and it, why was he not like, investigating for that at Spa? Because Max Verstappen. <laughs> Just Max Verstappen things. It's like, <laughs> hey, hey, what? Like, 
I'm just thinking, like, uh, I kind of want Pierre Gasly to get the Renault seat now. Carlos Sainz was obviously my first choice as well, but Pierre Gasly, he'd but he's be not a nice... French though. Pierre Gasly, I mean, science isn't. Oh yeah, science isn't French, but he's the son of a world champion. That's like, and, <laughs> and he is a very moppy-headed, haired Spaniard um, <laughs> who is who would potentially drive a Renault. Hmm. Who does this remind you of? Hmm. 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 I mean. Mm. I mean. <laughs> Uh, that so, bromance, that, like, again, that bromance kind of took a hit during the race. <laughs> well, it I can imagine. Well, it didn't go Rossi Marquez bad. And on that bombshell. Oh, yeah, show, it didn't go <laughs> that bombshell. Speaking of which, <laughs> MotoGP at Malaysia. Nice seek there. Yeah, let's head on into the other major motorsport event of the weekend. This was a uh, MotoGP out in Malaysia at the uh, Sepang circuit. Um, sold out. Very popular out there. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't catch much of this. So, guys, all on you guys. Tell me what went down. Okay. It's got to have been more fun than the F1. The too busy didn't watch is, oh, my God, ninth winner in a season. We have nine different winners in a MotoGP season. Ooh, and who would this be? That would be one Andrea DeVizioso of Ducati hey. Corsa. There you go. Valenti- Wins for both Ducati drivers. Yes. Valentino, he charges past Valentino Rossi on worn tires and picks up wow. his first top class victory in about six or seven years. I'm sure Dre yeah, has it's to- actually it, yeah, it's been seven years. His last victory was the 2009 British Grand Prix at Doddington Park. Wow! Wow! Holy shit! You just aren't used to it. Like I remember last year, me and Dre having a conversation about just how little different winners there were in MotoGP, or at the time there wasn't like yeah, it was literally Lorenzo Rossi Marquez, one of those three, maybe Danny Pedrosa. Now the irony is we've just come, we're in the middle of a season where there's been nine different winners and Pedrosa's not one of them. We could hit double <laughs> figures, guys. This, this is at, like a NASCAR season. Pedrosa did win at Misano, though, but I get what. Oh, did he? Yes. Yeah, yeah, he did win. Oh, did he? Oh, my yeah. bad. Okay, only nine then. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way the season's gone, I mean, Loris Baz, how you feeling? You feeling your chances, man? He's got Bradley one Smith. more race to do it, and Loris Baz did have a pretty good day um, as Avenature Racing took home a top double top five finish led by Hector Ooh. Barbara, who had his wow. best result of his MotoGP top class career in fourth. Wow. I tell you what, this is extraordinary. Like... Guys, I don't know if I've missed something along the way. Like, I know there were some more control elements coming into this season introduced in MotoGP, but, like, what do you think's changed to really... I mean, I know in that sort of incredible, you know, seven or eight different winners in eight races sort of streak we had over the summer, you know, there were some races with freak conditions, you know, Aston with Jack Miller, Crutchlow in Bruno, I want to say. Yeah, um, and the weather but, hits you know, was- hang hard again. Um, yeah, so I mean that, that's a wild card as well. We've had weather hit these these different factors, but at the same time, it feels like it's much more of an open field. I mean, Crutchlow's now won two for the season at Phillip Island, and, and it's like 
you got to say that in a lot of these cases, the wins were from the guys who were the fastest on the day. And w- whether they be Vinales, Crutchlow, Dovi, whatever, you know, like, do you see what I mean? Like, it just feels like the field is a lot closer together than it's ever been for the last few yeah, years. I, I, I would say it's down to the bikes that the control elements they added kind of pushed them together like generally the regulations have been the same for so long that convergence is a thing that naturally happens but the yeah, adding yeah. The, adding in control elements accelerated accelerated that a little bit more mm. yes honda and yamaha are by far i mean yeah i yeah honda and yamaha are by far the best I mean, Suzuki appeared to have stepped up this year. Yeah, Suzuki has stepped up. Hana Yamaha are by far the two best bikes in the field, Mm. but the gap between them and everyone else has shrunk tremendously. Particularly between the manufacturer and customer bikes. Yes. So the moment that they have an off weekend, they can't just, you know, having an off weekend last year. Yeah, having an off weekend last year, you could still get a podium. Now it completely flips the tables. Yeah, and and I think to be honest with you, the story of Mark Marquez's championship win this year has been, even whilst you know, even while everyone else was was in that sort of kind of top three who were going to be contending for the championship between him, Lorenzo, and Rossi, he genuinely was on the better end out of those three, even in races where all of them struggled in relation to other guys like Crutchlow, Vinales, the Ducatis, you know, uh, those those other players in the field, you know, even. We, we say it time and again, King. You win the championship on your worst days. Yep. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry, message from Sarah Connors in our Slack chat, basically saying anyone whining about Vettel swearing should watch hockey. Yeah, hard to, hard to disagree with that. But yeah, we've st- no more F1. We're not talking about F1 anymore. Um, it just feels to me like there's just the gap between the manufacturer and customer bikes is nowhere near as big as it once was. The three main you know, bikes are strong. And next year, in theory, with... Um, is it KTM who are joining yeah, next KTM. year as a full factory team? We've now got four manufacturers in the series. Got you've, you've got to think, and with Vinales taking over from Lorenzo at that seat, I've got a, I've got a serious impression it's, that he'll, gonna, he'll give Rossi a bloody nose next year. It's five because Aprilia is coming in. Oh, yes. I, oh, yeah. I forgot Aprilia, Aprilia, Aprilia as well. has been there, but they've just not been as good as everybody else since they yeah, got Yeah, that's in. true. Yeah, sorry. I've, I mean, benefiting by you know, proof that I completely forgot they were a thing. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I, I genuinely think Vinales going to Yamaha next year could give Rossi a bloody nose. That's an interesting one to, to look at. Like the, the the driver card at the top end is pretty stacked. Like this is, it's got every makings of a pretty decent, like I don't want to jinx things, but like it's moving in a good direction when considering for quite a few years, you know, a, any winner outside of the Rossi Lorenzo Marquez, maybe Pedrosa quartet was kind of unthinkable. And I don't think it even happened for a long time. Yeah. So Fair play to this season. I mean, it's, it sounds like a very entertaining race. I will have to, to catch up with it. Um, other notable stories from the race, guys? Well, um, uh, we did crown a Moto2 champion, did we, King? Yes, Johan Zarco is now in Moto2 champion. Hey, is that another one of your boys, or am I just thinking of Binder? Uh, you're thinking about Binder again. Uh, Zarco okay. defends his crown from last year. First, yes, true. First back-to-back Moto2 champion ever. I think, yeah, the first, because, I think the first back because to back most of the, the time, it's like, it's like boxing gold medals at the Olympics. Normally, because boxing at the Olympics is from the amateur divisions normally, no one defends their gold medals four years later because if you win a gold at one Olympics, you turn professional 
and therefore don't defend it. So it's almost like that with Moto 2 and 3. Normally they graduate to the next class and don't defend the title, but Zarco's the exception. He won't be going for the three-peat, though, because I believe he is moving yes, up, though, isn't he? he and Jonas Folger are moving to Monster Yamaha Tech 3 next year, and in fact, they're not the only ones moving up from Moto2. Sam Lowe's is going to Aprilia, which, mm-hmm. man, Sam Lowe's had a very interesting week that was topped off with a, with a free practice crash where he slid off his bike at a hairpin, got back on, <laughs> and then Johan Sarko crashes on his own yep. and then slides right in and takes Lowe's out from under his feet. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those days where Lowe's is just laying on the track, like, winded, like, this is just one of those days. Yeah. Holy shit. Why? <laughs> Yeah, come on, really? What else is a bird now gonna? Sh- is a pigeon like gonna shit on me now when I'm laying on the track? Like one of those days, man. It's just one of those days. I sound like Fred Durst. Um, but uh, ironically, Zarco's main championship threat going into this race was a guy who's not moving up in Thomas Luti, who, like that, that was a late season charge no one really saw coming, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, including including all the MotoGP team principals. <laughs> <laughs> because we almost had a situation where we had like the top the one guy not moving yeah, up the top the guy who actually wins the title is one of the several that doesn't actually move up <laughs> yeah that, that would have been a slightly disastrous scenario but i mean it's been a moto 2's been pretty good this year again more competitive than we come to expect moto 2's normally been the sort of duff class in in terms of competitiveness yeah. Moto 3 is the one that kind of crapped the bed in terms of that's the most competitive and yet Binder's laid the beat down on it basically by doing what Danny Kent refused to do last year because he's British and sporting that's why British athletes can't just win things unless you're the Olympic cycling team in which case they just kind of lay multiple F5s and elbows into the other teams um, but yeah, like normally like, in British Moto, sport they Moto, can't go on yeah Moto 3 ended up being a bit of a train wreck yeah there were multi, oh, go there on, were talk several like multi-bike wrecks and they ultimately had to stop the race because of a bad one involving Maria Herrera who was stretchered away from the circuit but it looks like she's gonna be you know fine for the most part so yeah. that's uh so that was you know obviously something very concerning along with the several other multiple accidents francesco yeah, like ba- <laughs> francesco bagnaia ended up winning the race his second win of the year i'm totally not looking at wikipedia at the standings <laughs> to catch up on the on all the support series that i normally have you're the be- guys i'm relying on to be informed about this like uh like the first incident race was a lap one turn seven incident that took out my boy brad binder as well as like three other guys in the leading group and from then it was basically bagnaya pretty much led the field (laughs) like all he had to do was just stay clean and he pretty much had the race after the race restarted after the red flag so, yeah, in a weird turn of events, the Moto3 race is not like Talladega with left and right turns. Fairly yeah, strange stuff, yeah. you know. Uh, it was Talladega as in there was a big one because I think <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, there were only 17, well, no, 17 people were classified as finishing, but there were like, wow, 14, yeah, 14 retirements. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, and in a grid that's like 30, 30 plus, 17 finishes is just just not good. Yeah. Um, so sounds like a pretty interesting weekend out in MotoGP. Any more? Any final thoughts from that? I love the fact that this section it's like, oh, MotoGP was good. Yeah. Next, <laughs> like, it's like F1 oh. is just like everyone was shit. Let's spend forty five minutes dissecting the fact because <laughs> it's a fact that we're not as knowledgeable as Dre is 
Oh my god! Yeah, I was going to say, Greg Greg is going to I be might very have to be disappointed do. in us, but at least I'm not like dropping references to like Regis Laconi <laughs> uh, being a factor in the MotoGP race. <laughs> oh wow! What a great run from Colin Edwards. I heard Cole Fogarty did well this weekend in the World Superbikes. <laughs> he went head to head with with that John John Ray or whatever he's called, winning his first of some titles against. Ray uh, did I don't get know, crowned. Troy Bayliss. Yeah, Ray did uh, take end up getting crowned uh, World yeah, Superbike first back to back World Superbike champ since Fogarty, wasn't it? I believe so. I'm not really so much of a World Superbikes fan. I can tell you about British <laughs> Superbikes doing it. Stand. Joe's just sitting there listening like D minus guys. See me after class. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> you sounded really disappointed. Like, oh, I hate to let you down, Trey. But hey, yeah, it's what? Um, but cool. Francesco Bagnaia revealed that he will be testing an Aspar MotoGP bike at the Valencia postseason test because Ooh. he bet his team principal that he would that they bet a test that uh, if he could get a win this season, <laughs> he would get a test. <laughs> I mean, he wow. Can't so we don't assume it to actually the, lead to a ride. He can't actually make the step up to MotoGP proper, but. You know, if he, if he keeps on the way that he's going, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that ultimately turns out to be the case. A few years time, he ends up with a privateer Ducati or maybe. Yeah. Even a hey, one. I mean, it's almost like the bet that uh, Penske had it. Was it 1975 um, Belgian Grand Prix or German Grand Prix? The one that John Watson won and the bet was he'd shave his head if he won. <laughs> I don't remember which Grand Prix, but I know it was a thing. <laughs> Yeah, I remember it was a thing. Like, Penske themselves live-tweeted the race. Like, I love it when teams do that. They're like, oh, welcome today to the 1973 American Grand Prix. And they're, like, pretending it's, like, on this day. I think that's really nice. Like, BBC Sport did it one time for the 1989 FA Cup final. They live-streamed it and did, like, a live text feed as if the game was happening right now. And, of course, as a Wimbledon fan, I loved it doubly. But it was really fun. But, um... I'll tell you what, that'll do it for MotoGP out in Malaysia. Nine different winners for the season. I'll tell you what, if you ain't paying attention, and this is to me as well, now's a good time to start because MotoGP is real good right now. Why does our American and, uh, TV deal suck this year? Yeah, it's not on American television. <laughs> I have to watch it through totally legit means. Totally, totally legit. legit sources. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, yeah, at least you guys have an excuse. I I don't. Uh, Soz Dre, my bad. We got enough for pipe bombing in the F1. So that'll do it for MotoGP. Let's move into the news and mailbag, both of which are pretty stacked. Having had time to breathe in the MotoGP section, we're all calm now, mostly. Yeah. Time to talk about some news, and most of it's from the IndyCar world. Hey, IndyCar, how you doing? We're missing you right now. I miss you a um, lot. How long is your off-season? But we've got some news to fill us in. Still nowhere, unfortunately, for our collective boy, Connor Daly, um, which, as I said, led to that incredible moment of Twitter savagery for me on Chris Cook. But hey, Chris Cook should be used to slagging off an uh, IndyCar driver that people like and then getting burned over it. This is a guy who slagged off Alexander Rossi at around lap 150 of the Indy 500 this year. And we know how that ended, didn't we, King? Right. Yes, we do. We <laughs> still, do. Probably the most, still probably the best quote of the year. That's going in the end of season, like, highlight show. But um, yeah, we have some IndyCar news, some actual news to tell you about rather than just silly season rumour. And it involves Andretti Autosport. We knew that Carlos Munoz's uh, seat in that team was a little bit precarious after funding from his family had stopped, which is a shame because 
before you throw the pay driver tag at him, he's actually been the best thing at Andretti the last oh couple of uh, certainly this like, last yeah. season. If there was a guy that I wanted to be Indy 500 champion, that's oh, always man. been so close. You can see it this year. It was like Alonso at Brazil 2012, just the faraway eyes, like, why? If only Rossi had like 50 more yards. Like, J.R. Hildebrand's like, well, at least it was my fault, 2011. Yeah, like, you. I mean,. <laughs> I, that just shows how quickly your fortunes could turn just after one race in IndyCar. Right. Well, oh, they did. Well, Andretti Autosport, keeping up with that theme, have also signed somebody who has experience with coming close to an Indy 500 victory <laughs> out of nowhere, um, but ultimately yes. falling short. He is the yeah. very young and up and coming 40 year old next year, Takuma Sato. <laughs> hey, Ooh. welcome back, my boy from the mid 2000s F1. I still remember when he was a BAR dive bombing bods left, right, and center yeah. as that Maverick teammate Jensen Button. But yeah, Takuma Sato, after a few fallow years at AJ Foy at, um, Enterprises, and well, actually a couple of. One or two wins. Over he there? had yeah, a yeah. good he appearances. Like Sato, kind of cashes in three or four good appearance, good runs for the year. So you can rely on that, and you can rely on plenty of dollars from Honda and decent sponsorship from Panasonic. So he's still a solid package. But guys, I think after, especially after the mediocre 2016 he's had, he's suddenly landing at pretty much. Well, no, Ganassi have just switched to Honda. So at the very least, the number two Honda team. This is he's fallen up, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I think it was more, he was a benefit of circumstance where Michael Andretti was really open. He wanted an all-American lineup. He wanted Joseph Newgarden, and he couldn't get Joseph Newgarden. Yeah, because Darth Penske was like, no, he shall join the dark side of the force. Yep, so they got the next best, well, the, yeah, the <laughs> next best thing. <laughs> Probably. I mean, come on. You, uh, the Connor Daly's got to be higher up. Than, I mean, that's harsh on Sato. Sato's a decent driver, but he's not the form driver right now. And, and in motorsport, it is very much a what has he done lately kind of game. So, I mean, uh, like, it, it, it's going to be a big year for him in terms of he's been given a big seat. There's going to be a lot of eyes on him, RJ. It, it's really going to be How his do you reckon last, he's going to deal with this? It's going to be his, really his last shot. And it's going to be yes. better equipment top to bottom that he his had. His last shot in the West. Um, yeah. but there's always going to be that feeling of like, has he really just fallen upward where you have guys like Munoz and, and Connor Daly who are still looking for rides. King will probably appreciate this one and that I've likened <laughs> Takuma Sato to baseball player, Jeff Rancourt, who had one oh. amazing stretch <laughs> at the very start of his major league baseball career and then sunk to mediocrity. In this case for Sato, his hot stretch was nearly winning the Indianapolis 500 for Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan. Uh, winning a rate, winning the Long Beach Grand Prix for AJ Foyt, and almost winning Sao Paulo in a massive duel with James Hedgecliffe in the wet conditions. Oh, that last corner, though. Oh my God, that was so good. And I think like Andretti Autosports kind of feels like they can bring that 2012-13 Sato back where you may not get the most consistency out of him, but you have yeah. a shot to win. And I mean, plus he's going to, he's going to bear basically guarantee that Alexander Rossi is the second best member of Andretti Autosport by proxy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. By proxy. And I don't know. It seems like even though that this is his last chance, it doesn't seem like Andretti are thinking long-term with Sato that this no. is kind of like, I'll wait and see what the driver market does in the next couple of years. Maybe call up one of their guys from Lights, either, you know, Stoneman, Blackstock, or Kellett. Or like, it seems like Sato is like, uh, 
literally a placeholder. Yeah, he's almost like that guy, the experienced guy, you know he can get you some results, probably. I mean, it's not like they need experience. They've got Ryan Hunter, Ray, and Marco Andretti over there. They're not exactly spring chickens, and they're guys who are really, you know, in decent form. So for me, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Sato brings a decent level of performance if you can get that out of him. And I'm certainly, like, equipment won't be an excuse anymore. Like, he'll need to deliver something, but you also get the feeling that, like, at 40, we talked about this with Tony Kanaan, and we'll talk about it, we talked about it with a guy we're going to mention in a minute. Um, You know, when you get to that sort of level, it's like, how long do you trust this guy to stay good? Because generally, when they fall off the cliff, when when it starts to go away, it's pretty quick, but you don't really know when it's going to come. I mean, look at Kanaan. He's just absolutely impervious and absolutely ageless in this past season. So, this is an interesting one. It raised a few eyebrows, but... I'm, you know, my early 2000s F1 self as one of the original boys. I'm pretty happy with that. But also, interesting you mentioned about Munoz, it looks like it's going to be a straight swap. Looks like he might be going to AJ Foyt. And we've talked about Foyt. It looks like he's going for a complete clear the deck situation. Which will and be after good the last for them. Few years, oh, yeah. I mean, Foyt have basically been at the bottom end of the pecking order in IndyCar for the last few years. And for a guy like Foyt, as proud and as, you know, up, like as... as fiercely competitive as him these last few years have been a big struggle so you get the feeling clear in the decks he's landed if this is to be confirmed um how uh, is it confirmed king or is it a no, sort of it's rue it's highly likely rumor highly likely yeah okay so it looks fairly likely to happen at least with Sorry, Munoz, just, you get no. you get him in a seat where he doesn't have to bring money because ABC Supply will sponsor both their rides. Munoz gets arguably yeah. a more competitive Chevrolet engine, uh, though it probably wasn't as good as the Hondas on super speedways, ironically. Um, funny enough, um, that would be a good swap. I think I think if Munoz and Daly ends up being the combination at Foyt, that could be a really strong team. Make it happen, yeah. Larry Foyt. Do something because... right for once in your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Like, I think this is the year that Foyt has to take it to the other midfield teams, take it to Carpenter, take it to ho- hopefully Smith-Peterson aren't otherworldly by then. They could make a case mm. for being worse than Dale Coyne racing. Could make yeah. A, make a case for being that's worse than just... Dale Coyne. Dale yeah, Coyne, the team that's... that voluntarily <laughs> signed Dennis Vitolo. Uh, <laughs> wow. And didn't, no, that, no, yeah. No, it was Coyne who also signed Francesco Drucone. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, Foyt needs to start turning things around quick. Yeah, so no wonder they're, um, you know, clearing the decks down there. Munoz, if he's to be the first signing down there for the new team, Pretty, a pretty good start, to be honest with you. Like, driver talent will not be in question. I just get the feeling that Foyt is almost starting, like, scorched earth policy, you know, year zero. Let's let's go again. And, you know, it's been really, it's been tough. You know what I mean? So I think this will be, if they can get, if, if the Munoz deal is legit, it's uh, a good start for them. Um, we also have Juan Pablo Montoya, the guy who didn't want a part-time Indy 500 ride and looked like he was to be leaving Penske. Guess where he's been signed? At Penske for an Indy 500 ride. And that's it, because they won't allow him to be a part-timer with any other team. <laughs> nope. So that's literally his one. So, so much for that full season, age one, Pablo. But then again, you might get that sports car ride. I mean, uh, the sports if- car program that Penske <laughs> may or may not be doing. Actually, they're not. Actually, I-, I speculated on this before the show. You do know what series 
Penske does run endurance races in, don't you? No, like we don't. The Supercars Championship in Australia. That is true. The Pertec Enduro Cup. One Pomer Montoya is going to Bathurst. I call it now. Oh, that's uh, like, so <laughs> Oh my uh, god, it'd be a riot. Imagine if Greg Murphy returned as well as a coach. <laughs> oh my god, just let that happen. I, I want to Murphy I, England Montoya. I, hey, Bordet went down there the last. I think he was there. Uh, no, he was definitely a co-driver last year. Uh, yeah, he was. I I want to say something as like the resident uh, Juan Pablo Montoya stand of this entire collective. Um, <laughs> Like, I have conflicted feelings about this. Like, it's obviously good that he has, like, a legitimate shot to win a third Indianapolis 500. Still stay with Team Penske. But I think he is at the point where he's going to be winding down his career. He wants to spend more time with his son, Sebastian, who's starting up his karting career. Um, I really don't have too much of a problem with it, especially because, like, his effective replacement is Joseph Newgarden, who is going to be my guy for the future. Um, I've, I've definitely at the point where I can appreciate a lot of the things that Juan Pablo Montoya has done in his career. I think it may just be like a short term sabbatical before he finds something else to do. I don't think the Lamont pursuit is going to happen unless WEC changes its top class rules in a very big way to allow privateers or <laughs> they might right, they possibly, might. but that's a whole nother story for a whole nother matter. Uh, uh, but I'm I'm okay with this. I'll at least get to see Montoya drive while also getting to see, hopefully, the future of the sport get opportunities to shine. Yes. Yeah, I think but this I, is... I, I find it hilarious because on Racer Magazine's article, the last paragraph says, despite holding talks with A.J. Foyt, AJ Foyt Racing, Andretti Autosport, Chip Ganassi Racing, and Ed Carpenter Racing, among others, the 15-time race winner was unable to secure a season-long opportunity. I tell you what, this is what I just said. Big deal. What have they done lately? Canaan's had, <coughs> excuse me, had a really good season. Juan Pablo Montoya had a mediocre one, and I know he nearly won the title in 2015. But um, yeah, I don't think people were prepared to take the chance on him, and and you know. I mean, we look at, having said that, though, you look at Andretti, we just talked about Takuma Sato seeming like a short-term deal. Would you have really got that much worse with Montoya in a similar sort of role? I, I think it, I think that would be more of an issue of pay. All right. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I feel now like, I feel like yeah. Montoya could bring in sponsors like when Craig Lowndes basically got his own setup at Triple Eight. Like he's the one guy who could bring in sponsorship. Montoya is a guy who could bring in sponsors where they didn't exist before, whereas Sato has to bring his own. But ultimately, no, I, I think I think the amount of sponsors he would have brought in would have not outweighed how much the team would have had to pay him. Right. Yeah, I <laughs> it's it's kind of a conflicting feeling. I, I don't think we've seen the last of Juan Pablo Montoya. We'll see him at the Indianapolis 500. Yeah. But I think maybe maybe this kind of sort of sabbatical year will probably be the thing that re-kickstarts him for one last run in a title. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Maybe. This may just be wishful thinking. All of the fingers crossed. Is that more hope at, or is that more hope than expectation? Um yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's all right. At least we admit it. Like, I love how some people online are like, oh, I think this will happen. I predict this. And it's like, um, is that what you really think? Or is that just what you want to happen? I mean, basically, that's Sky Sports' remit at this point. But, you know. Um, so those are your big uh, IndyCar 
driver news for the moment. Wait, Let's I got dive into one. Ooh. I got one news. Ooh. It was King's always there. He's always yep, like, well, not so fast. Let me school you. Someone interesting decided to turn up at the race in Martinsville this week in a NASCAR. And it was one reigning IndyCar champion, Simon Pagano, and he said, like another Frenchman said earlier this year, they would love to give NASCAR a go. <laughs> well, you know, I like, I like, put it this way: Dell Junior. and his Junior Motorsports team have offered rides in the Xfinity Series road course races to Grosjean and Daniel Ricciardo at some point this year. So you can't tell me that's not at least on the table, and yeah. I'd love to see it. I think it'd be great fun. And if only just to literally everyone in the grandstands would be like, Duh? The bad guy from Talladega Nights is real? <laughs> Give him the Perry <laughs> sponsorship. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, it would be rude not to, really, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, Simon's a fan but, uh, of really thin pancakes, right? Uh, yeah, that's not unfair. Uh, but... I think that'll just about do it for the uh, news, for and, the and, think, news. And one other oh. related NASCAR piece of news I think you will really enjoy, Johnson. Oh, go on. Yeah. Um, they announced that they're banning cup drivers from the lower series chases next year. And I think in Xfinity or whatever it's going to be called next year, they're also banned from the uh, Dash for Cash races. Yeah, I heard about this. It's... Uh, it's not a bad start, you know, like, I mean, this is a big issue. If you, if you don't follow NASCAR, basically, it would be like if F1 drivers routinely cameoed in GP2 and GP3 races and stole most of the, and took most of the wins. Like, cup drivers running in Xfinity in the lower tier series has been fairly common for a long time. But the problem we've got now is that the, the, the gaps between the competitive teams and the have-nots in Xfinity is wider than ever. So if you're a cup-affiliated team... There's only about 10 of those full-time in the series out of a field of 40-odd. And if you sprinkle three or four cup guys in there, they're probably going to have an, an advantage over the other guys who are just more experienced and more confident. They're just better. That's why they're in the cup series and the other guys aren't. So you've just got the scenario now where like Kyle Busch is basically running the table. He's entering most weekends and nine times out of 10, he wins the thing. And it's just fans aren't interested. And it's no good promoting the Xfinity series as stars are built here. You know, careers begin here. No, they don't. No, they don't. They just sit in the shadow of Kyle Busch or Brad Kozlowski. You can't promote it. And that? sometimes like, you get a Chase Elliott. And then sometimes you get a ch- Like, the few moments that uh, an Xfinity regular beats a cup guy, it's huge. It can make a career. But, um, yeah, in Chase Elliott's case, it definitely did. But, you know, it's. I think it's a decent start. It's more's work. There's more work to do, but I think it's not a bad start. So... Let's crank on into the mailbag, which actually includes something we were going to talk about in the news section. But and it's not it's good. So actually, uh, oh. <laughs> quick correction, I messed up. Uh, it's definitely they're banned from the chase and the dash for cash, but they're also at a capped at a max of 10 races. They can only participate in 10 Xfinity races. Yeah, yeah, that's or I seven heard about that as well. Yeah, so. yeah that's, that's not, as I say, it's a start. It's you a know start, what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. It's not bad. It's a, it's a good move in the in the initial direction. You know what I mean. So let's get into the mailbag. It's loaded once again. I love the reaction you guys get. Literally, we tweeted out just as the show started recording, and it is already full. So let's take a look initially. Over. Also, can I just say, anyone trying to do Shag Marry Kill Part Two, <laughs> you're jumping on the bandwagon. We got away with it last week. We ain't doing that again for a while. So good luck with that. Especially when it involves a coked-up Johnny Herbert, Felipe Nasser, and Louis Van Hal. We're leaving that until Dre's back on. 
Um, so let's have a look in the Twitter notifications. Wow, there's oh my, how many questions? Oh my goodness, oh, we may not even guess them all. <laughs> oh, we- this is just ridiculous. Um, so I think uh, we should uh, start off with the with the one that has to do with like the worst news of the last week from a motorsport oh, uh, perspective. Facebook. Yes, it'll be Owen Quemby who's raised this one. Uh, thoughts on the dual blow of Audi leaving the World Endurance Championship and Volkswagen leaving the World Rally Championship. We alluded to this earlier, King. <sighs> Big, I mean, arguably VW lead in WRC, I can kind of understand in a sense of they've been the dominant team for a long time. They've not really got much competition. The World Rally Championship's kind of in a slump right now in terms of relevance and just general hype around the series. But Audi leaving the World Endurance Championship, this was fucking huge a sports car landscape without Audi in it is unthinkable contrary to popular belief it's not a direct switch from WEC to Formula E King is yes, at pains to point that out adamant, they've like, already committed to Formula E before yes. this news but even so King this is absolutely massive and does this basically signal the death knell for diesel in Europe uh it was dead long before this. I think it was a matter. I think it was a matter of After Dieselgate. It had to be in the gutter, didn't it? Yeah, right. it had to be in the gutter uh, because of Dieselgate. The fines incurred. It's not like oh, we could start from scratch and just make uh, a traditional gasoline-powered hybrid. That was not going to be in the cards. They had to shut down one of the teams, and that team was. Audi because when it comes the dynasty comes, of modern endurance racing yeah, they, they're, yeah they're the dynasty of modern endurance racing and they felt like they done what they could and uh, apparently this was like uh, not a surprise to most people it's a surprise that is happening at the end of this year they thought a lot of people a lot of sports car journalists thought that 2017 was going to be a like a swan song year and that they would have a chance for one last go and they would leave as the new regulations come in for 2018 and they've not even done that no they just shut it down <laughs> i was like nope we're out of here lads can i just like, go over the numbers really quick of what audi's yeah. done yeah, they you had can. They've won 106 out of 185 races, according to a press release from Audi Media themselves. 80 pole positions, 94 fastest race laps. They won nine consecutive American Le Mans titles. They won the 2012 and 2013 World Endurance Drivers Championships together. And of course, they won 13 24 hours of Le Mans titles in a span of 18 years. Which doesn't yeah, even include ridiculous. like the Bentley Speed Eight, which was basically a glorified Audi R8 with a closed yeah. top and green colors. Like, like again, going back to my um, keeping it 101, that Bentley is probably like the most sports car thing ever. Yeah, goodness, it's and there were t- I still have the diecast of it in on a, on a display shelf, and I just absolutely oh, it's so nice. But you know, and there were so many times where Audi were both the overwhelming overdog and then like in the latter years of their success like Peugeot and Toyota and Porsche seem to have their number yet all the time Audi seemed to come through and they yeah, just kept coming just, back yeah and even like 2014 when, was one of the best Le Mans 24 hours I've watched in ages and that was one where Audi basically out like everyone in the top division had problems but Audi was just the ones who could bounce back from the problems the best if that makes sense yeah, right. and in terms of like my teenage years, I'd probably say the Audis were my favorite looking race cars. 
Yeah, it was hard to ignore those. They were so... And honestly, I think my favorite Audi was probably one that didn't win, that that never won at Le Mans, and it was the, the R15. Yeah, I remember that. Didn't that... Oh, no. Are you talking about the regular yeah, R15, the, the not original, the TDI Plus? Yeah, the original. Not the TDI Plus. Yeah. yeah. They kind of like... Yeah, we kind of have to sacrifice looks to make it quicker, so... <laughs> Like, so yeah, it kind of came through in the end, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, this is this is real major news. Like I say, it's been sad. Um, like it, it is. It's sad. Like it's unthink. Like it, I feel kind of the same way as when Tom Christensen announced his retirement. You know, it's just like, um, you, you just you can't think of a world without the mini in terms of sports car racing. And strange, yeah. it's going to be very strange next year. And I think. The I, WEC have kind of painted themselves into a corner, as as King said earlier, being so reliant on manufacturers, and yet the manufacturers, not all of them, it's like, oh, hybrid is the future, guys. We want to do hydrogen and all this other stuff. Manufacturers don't want to go. Some manufacturers don't want to go that way that yet. The indications are that Peugeot want to come back, but with an all petrol car, they yeah. don't want to go hybrid just yet. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's because it's a tricky one. Some people like Peugeot, they generally want to compete in motorsport, but they want it to be financially make sense, which yeah, exactly. is completely logical. While others are willing to just burn money as for it to be a marketing scheme. Yeah, like Toyota can do that. They did that in F1 and they're doing that better in WEC, <laughs> yeah. in all honesty. Um, and Audi's not going to stop like their customer racing programs. They're not going to stop in DTM or as I like to call it, GT 500 without all the fun parts. Um, they, yeah. <laughs> they ironically may be staying in the world Rallycross championship, which is, you know, just totally pummeling the WRC in terms of popularity and exposure and getting new fans involved and attracting and building star talent. You know, all the things that WRC hasn't done for over a decade. Hmm. <sighs> Yeah, like another thing that the technical chief of Peugeot mentioned besides having a low-cost non-hybrid alternative for LMP1 is that traveling around the world is expensive and going endurance racing in all these places is expensive. It's like not only like, quote, not only should we work to reduce the cost of designing the car, we should also work to reduce reduce that of a season based around the Le Mans 24. It's a fantastic event. No question, but it only lasts a week while the rest of the championship doesn't really provide a return that is good. That's it. Re it provides a return that is good, but not exceptional. Right. That they don't see they don't see a return on their investment about, you know, shipping their cars all the way around the world to go to Mexico, to go to to go to Japan, to go to Bahrain. They don't see that as being worthwhile. They see Le Mans as worthwhile, but they don't see the rest of the championship as being worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, I and that's interesting. I mean, like, it used to be, like, wasn't the World Endurance Championship, like, only established in 2011? Yeah, it was yeah. established in 2012, it. and they actually had, like, the 12 hours of Sebring as part of its first season of championships. And if you look at the oh, rest of the that. calendar, like... You know, the six hours of Silverstone, six hours of Spa, the six hours of Fuji. These are all six events. Six hours of everywhere yeah, else. Uh, like a lot of the like there's a lot of events with like decades of history behind them. But after Lamont, it seems like a lot of people just tune out and don't give a crap. 
Yeah, it's almost like IndyCar's issue with trying to keep people around after the Indy 500. Yeah, like, again, you could put that down to the ACO, where there is a massive conflict of interest that the organizers of the 24-hour Le Mans also run the world championship. Yeah, so it's in their best interest not to make the rest of the championship more appealing. Yeah. In that sort of way. Yeah, it's uh, it's, a, it's a big, it's a strange situation right now. WEC's going to, it's going to need Toyota and Porsche to really step up and hope that they can produce a great, battle between themselves next year and nerfing LMP2 is not good. Suddenly, IMSA's DPI program, it, they're it suddenly looks sitting there great. like, yeah, ah, about great. that, guys. <laughs> yeah, about that ACO. Um, let's let's move on. Let's have a look. We've got plenty of questions to look at. Um, here's one from Brian Shadowwolf, who I've, I've had a lot of chats with on Twitter. Normally during V8 supercar races, um, considering the new reg- regulations which will make the current problems of F1 worse and fans would not be very happy about it, which would keep which would be better to keep the fans happy? Um, Sky Ham, a 24-7 channel dedicated to Lewis Hamilton, or replacing the driver of the day with a poll deciding what shoe Daniel Ricciardo will drink out of. Ooh, left or, or right. Uh, or, left what, or, right. or what Ricciardo will drink out of anyway, like regardless of shoe. <laughs> uh. um, at least Sky Ham would be like honest and upfront about the way that they're presenting their coverage lately. Um, that is just like, true. Look, we just want to fap over Hamilton some more, okay? Um, I just, I just want the uh, the 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 pre-race press conferences to just be extended, uh, like eighty Southern wrestling promo cutting. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> just Dusty Rhodes, muscle. right? And I want some. I want one of them to be like the jumping Jeff Farmer of the group. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, It'll be the first race of my life, but uh, I don't like it when things aren't not going my way. Lewis. <laughs> oh no, Lewis is way too charismatic. He's he's nowhere near enough of the bland uh, Tennessee baby face. He can't pull that off. <laughs> like, oh man, like imagine just like a, you put a hard times on my family, Max. You put a hard times on me. <laughs> Oh man! An eighteen-year-old from Montreal whose daddy runs a bunch of fashion brands put me out of work. (laughs) (laughs) That's Felipe Massa's party message. You put a hard times on this family. Or or we we could just go modern Kendrick. Be like, uh, like, oh god, just Daniel Kvyat. So come on, come on, Carlos. I need to win this one. I need to. This could be my last ride, Carlos. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Well, we got um, <laughs> Danny Brennan decides to be a little bit more PG this week. Um, considering Sebastian Vettel has been investigated for swearing at Charlie Whiting, ironically, as the recording's happening, that's been dropped. What would you call Charlie if he was penalised for it? What swear words? Ooh. I'd call him a massive flap <laughs> because I like swear words that aren't really swear words, but they sound like it. Like, you mass- this is a massive cluster fruitcake. <laughs> that's part of the reason I love being on radio swearing when you're not yeah right? you just make stuff up just it's it's all about it's all about tone and expression <laughs> uh i'll leave you guys i'll give you guys a second to to think of uh to think of your answers mm. um um i i like i like, I like the word fuck sock <laughs> f- f- fuck sock or fuck sock uh either one either or i guess i don't know <laughs> Either I'm not even sure. I don't even know. Uh, Marcus Hoare chiming in. Good to have you along as your regular contributor. Mainly an Adam question. Hello. Uh, where will Ogier, Mickelson, and Jari-Marie Latvala end up? Uh, or will they end up in the WEC? I, I, 
Or could VW send them to World Rallycross? Um, I think the God, latter, surely. Yeah. I, I, like, I have, are, are the contracts still even valid with the company? It's like, when they shut down the team, yeah, we still have their, like, their contracts and everything. Put it this way, Ogier of all of them is not going to have any problem finding work. No, I imagine that Tommy Mackinnon, who is going to run Toyota's uh, program, is like... He's got to have poached one of them, yeah, surely. He's going to. Latvala, I think, will... Sp- it will be either Latvala or Mickelson who I think makes the switch over because I think they're tired of living in Sebastian OJ's shadow. And you know what? It's really yeah. sad that Volkswagen is pulling out. And does Ogier become the lobe in like, well, I've won everything there is to win in WRC right now. I need to go somewhere right. else. And it is kind of disappointing that Volkswagen pulls out now in a 2016 season where we've seen Hyundai and privateer Citroëns beat Volkswagen in straight fights and you almost feel like they were getting so close to having like a proper battle for a championship and now it's mm. not going to happen. Yeah. I just wanted kind to of- see the 2017 polo guys. <laughs> <laughs> with, all the, with the massive body kit on it. Oh man. Um, right. Next question. Uh, another one from Brian Shadow Wolf actually. He's, he's getting He's never asked us a question before on the show. So he's, he's, he's going, he's doubling down tonight. Uh, what is your? This is gonna be a good one. I think RJ's gonna enjoy this as well. What is your F1 dream team of shit? Oh. You must select two drivers, a team manager, and a car. Mm. Well, guys, I'm going to go for the obvious one straight away. My car is going to be Mastercard Lola. Mm. Goodbye. Oh no, no. I- team manager. A uh, good question. Me. That'll be shit. Uh, and drivers. Hmm. Uh, Chanok Nissani and Yuji Ide. They're too obvious, oh, aren't God. they? Oh, God. Um, I don't know. See, when I'm picking when I'm picking a dream team, I just got to go with, like, the absolute worst of the worst. My car would be the Life L190 powered by its oh. suffocatingly terrible W12 engine. <laughs> um, if oh. you've ever seen, there's a clip of Bruno Giacomelli during, like, a pre-qualifying session, and he's doing about, like, 200 down the end of the front straight at Montreal. He's just pushing this thing as hard as he can, and there's, like, a Williams that just screams past him doing 100 more <laughs> miles an hour. This car was <laughs> this car was bad, and it was unsafe, and at the start of the season was also driven by a child predator, but we won't get in that. Um, <laughs> you, um, our, so, King, I guess that leaves Andrea Moda for you. <sighs> Ooh. It's like <laughs> Andrea Moda oh, was go- like a shittier a shitter Simtech. No, 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 no. I'm gonna go I'm gonna I'm gonna go with another team. Oh go on. I'm gonna go with a shit fifties team. <laughs> Oh, he's taking it right back. Yeah, this is I'm King's era right like, here. The team I wanted to be good, but just just wasn't. The the, the Simca Gordini and their straight four. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> a straight four in an era where like, yeah, we got V8. We got like V12. We got straight four. <laughs> oh, I don't know. BR- BRM just thought like, hey, more cylinders equals more wins. And that really didn't work out for okay. them. <laughs> well, well, BRM was like the was like the reason why people didn't think the British could make racing cars until the 1960s. <laughs> God. Um, it's like, uh, so, yeah, I think Gordini had a, like was coming from France where it's like we dominate racing and then we're never going to we're going to retire every race because our car can't make it to the end, guys. 
Oh, man. As far as like team principles would go, nobody did more to put their team into disrepute in one season than Andrea Sassetti of Andrea Moda F1 team, who interestingly enough, <laughs> landed a sponsorship deal to sponsor a few lower level IndyCar series the year after he was run out of F1 on a rail. Fun fact. <laughs> Um, and as far as wow. my drivers would go, I would actually pass on Yuji Ide because here's the thing about Ide, and I know this is going to be like, hey, Japanese motorsport nerd RJ added again. Like, <laughs> he was actually good in domestic competition. He just had no chance with like one month of preparation in a 40 year old car and no confidence whatsoever. He was thrown in the deep end. I would pick Shannock Nissany and Tacky in a way <laughs> who were just so straight up garbage on all fronts. I love the fact that Nissan has earned the worst of all time tag based on one test session, one practice session. He complained about, and one he, quote. he complained about having too much grip and he also couldn't get the, the car's too good. I can't take this. Like, I don't know, like some of the popular choices for like worst driver ever, like guys like John Denise Delatraz had success in sports cars. Yuji Ide was good in domestic competition. Luca Badwer could have been Michael Schumacher's replacement at Ferrari back when he was still in his racing prime. <sighs> yeah, that's fair. Oh, God. That's Who's my fair. driver going to be? Of course, if I'm thinking Gordini, I'm going to have to go with uh, Aldo Gordini, the son, or, the son of the team's owner who drove in one Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> he also drove for Gordini in the 24 Hours of Le Mans that year. And thank, uh, thank God he didn't like stay that long because his car broke down because it's a Gordini, but yeah. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, Alpes yeah, would be a good shout out. The only driver who was ever black flag for going too slow in a race is like a privateer in 67. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's he's a good free agent in this driver market. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you can use the word good. Um I don't know. This is this is quite good. I'm tempted to go for like two mid-tier mediocrities in the early 2000s, like Gaston Mazzucani and Enrique Binaldi or something. It's like I'm, I'm total you, silence you have to in the find side. Someone who's terrible but notably terrible. Like they did mm. something to be confirmed as terrible. Hey, Enrique Bernaldi like, was once Helmut Marco's golden child. <laughs> over Kimi Raikkonen. <laughs> <laughs> Your, your your update for the day that Helmut Marco's talent radar is like Gary Rogers. It's normally very good, but even then it has a blip. Very big blips. I mean, uh, I, I'm part of me is tempted just because I can't stand him, and it'll be hilarious seeing him struggling in a really crap car and throws toys out the pram. I'm going to hire Max Verstappen. <laughs> Ooh, God. Man, these takes are like, hot. Just, just you saying that, I was like, oh, I really want to pick my least favorite Formula One champion of all time. Oh, go on. I would have. Jack Villeneuve? No, no. Mike Hawthorne. <laughs> Mike fucking Hawthorne. Where it's like, oh, I'm going to like get like 100 people killed and like not bad an eye when they say, yeah, maybe we should pull out the race. Nah, nah, we're going to keep driving this Le Mans. We're going to win it while people die in the stands. <laughs> Damn, man. That's, yeah, okay. So we're just going for punishment points now. Yes. We're just going for karma points now. We're just going to make you suffer. So Verstappen and E-Day for me in the MasterCard Lola. Um, uh, RJ, what was your, your team in the my, end? Nissan e My team was Chanak Nissany and Tacky in a way. 
Good shout. Uh, in the, what was it? The Life the Car. The Life Car with its very terrible W12 and Andrea Sassetti as the team director. You're welcome. Wonderful, wonderful. And King? Yeah, so... Uh, Hawthorne and... Yeah, Hawthorne and Aldo Gordini in the Simca Gordina, Gordini of the early 1950s that could barely ever finish a Grand Prix. Uh, sometimes I like going to the like the mediocre bad end of things. I think it's hilarious. And <laughs> in that sort of vein, let's have a look over on the Facebook uh, in the mailbag there because we've got a good one over here. Um, not just because it partially promotes my YouTube channel or anything, but... We have um, Brian Glennon. He's trying to fuck, marry, kill, but we're not going to do that. Uh, in the words of one Adam Johnson, Brian Scott is the most blisteringly mediocre driver in NASCAR. Yeah, that's a running joke I have in my NASCAR Heat Evolution YouTube series. But in your opinion, who are the most blisteringly mediocre drivers in the current Formula One and IndyCar? Oh, Ooh. Marcus Erickson. We're not talking about... Com- God, Marcus Erickson uh, would have to be... We're not guy. talking about outright worst. We're yeah, talking about just... Average. Just like, what are you average. even doing here? Just blisteringly mediocre. Like they, just like they, you, are, you, they are in wins against replacement. They are the replacement level guy that they're judged against. Yes, right. yeah. Like, I think in IndyCar... If he's even back next year, I think you have to go with like Jack Hawksworth, don't you? Yeah, you have to go. I don't know. And I like him, but man. I don't know, man. Marco Andretti, if not for his last name. Oh. Would, like if, if Marco Andretti was just like Marco Smith, he'd have been gone this year. Yeah. Yes. Oh, he'd have been, he would have got an Uber. <laughs> um, and my yeah. pick for F1 uh, would probably be Marcus Erickson. Which it says a lot. Yeah, how to argue with that. Felipe Nazar has regressed against him this year, and I had more faith in Nazar to do good. Everyone had more faith. Well, now you see why I don't want him force India. Uh, so I think my choice is well, my choice for F one would be Jolyon Palmer. I think to be honest with you, like he just doesn't hasn't done anything notable. And I was the guy defending him. I'm like, well, at least he's a feeder series champ. And then it's just oh. But really? like in the but like in the uh, the Giorgio Pantano and Davide Valsecchi tier of GP2 series <laughs> champions who just hung around yeah, too long. True. Almost like the sort of wow, how the hell what, yeah, they won like, championships? Like the kind of the kind of guys that when Stefano Domenicali was made president of single seaters, he was like, Yeah, you know, Formula Three, it des- it definitely should have an experience limit. Three years and you're out. <laughs> <laughs> and now people are upset about that. <laughs> like, yeah. The the only reason I'd be upset about that is like me being a, like a biased American. I'd be like, it should be four years. <laughs> be like, just like college football. <laughs> That's fair. Um, let's roll up for a, a final duo of questions. I'm going to mash two of these questions together here. Um because they're fairly similar. We've got Lenin 4 who says, I know it probably will never happen, but are there any current F1 circuits that you'd like to see host an IndyCar race? And that combines with Henry Chapman, who says, you're in charge of the calendar for IndyCar, and you're told you have to have two overseas races. Where do you go? And he says, when? Um, where do you go? So I'm going to mash the two of them together. Which two overseas F1 circuits, so not Cota, would you take IndyCar too? Well, I mean, if uh, if Tess is like, I'm going to give this like, a from the union. I, yeah, you, <laughs> I was like, the the minute you took Coda, like Coda is the no brainer. It, it really is. Yeah, but we're talking overseas here. Yeah. Um. Would I mean would Montreal count? <laughs> no, in IndyCar terms, it isn't. 
No, okay. Uh, I wouldn't want them to go to Mexico, to be fair. Um, I, I tell you one. I think, like I think Mexico would work because they're so much faster in a straight line than the F1 cars. So, and they have so much more drag, so you could actually slipstream. So, yes, yeah, no, that's fair. It would actually work. And they Mexico. please use the original Peridalta. Oh god, that'd be a death trap. <laughs> like as, as <laughs> much as much as I love that turn and I hate like the the like I love the baseball stadium itself, but the complex yeah. through it is terrible. Yeah. Oh, it's, crap. it's bad. But it's it's a bad replacement for a turn that probably should have been that probably Yeah, that should be replacing. replacing, but yeah. Oh. I mean, like as I say for me, one of them will be Singapore. Oh, oh yeah, that's that, perfect. I was I gonna Singapore go with that fun. one too. Jeez, that just having the spectacle of like a nighttime street race and it's been it, so yeah. long since they had a nighttime street race. Oh man. I can't even remember the last time that happened. Yeah, it was uh one year at um one year at Cleveland they bought brought in portable lights. Oh my Was that the year the LMS had a night race there as well? Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I remember that. That was fun. Um, um, yeah, Singapore be one, and probably would uh, Albert Park be too similar to Singapore? Because I feel like it would have some. No, not at all. I feel like it would have some pretty awesome races for Indy cars. Hey, the V eight supercars put on a great show there every Goodness, year. Yeah, it's yeah, just, like Albert Park is. Don't at me. My favorite like street circuit on the calendar. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you with it. I like Singapore, but I'm not going to argue with you on Albert Park. That is, you know, technically including Montreal, because Montreal is tech. Like, if you're going to say Albert Park's a street circuit. Technically, technically. Yeah, like, if you're going to say Albert Park's a street circuit, then Montreal is also a street circuit. Hmm. Hmm. I'd love to see IndyCar go to the old Adelaide track, the Clipsal 500 track. Mm. That'd be fun. But that doesn't count because it's not a current F1 venue. What about any? Uh, what about any European venues? Or is Spa like Europe would just seem know? like almost too obvious, but I think it would be the one that yeah. works the best. It's like we. It's like no, a, it's a given that we all really enjoy Spa, um, which is just like why I don't want to just like go for it as my first. Yeah, choice. I don't I know. Think, I'm kind of over Spa at yeah, this point I'm, in time. I'm a bit over Spa. Like if I was to say a place in Europe, I'd probably say Hockenheim. Because it just it just seems like that would work. That's not a bad shout, you know. I like that. I think it'd be especially the hairpin. Oh my goodness, hairpin on the first lap. I think, oh sanity. I think, I think uh, Austria would be lovely chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be organized anarchy, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, what ones am I? Ah, I've got one. So I've got Singapore for my first one. My second one. Just because IndyCar likes going to tracks that normally you can't pass on and serving up really good races. Hungry. Hungry, oh, baby. Uh, Mad God, now Yeah, but yeah, my number... <laughs> Silence from the crowd. My number two, my number two. Ooh, yeah, it's definitely... It's it's between it's between those two European tracks I mentioned. I'm probably going to have to go well, Austria. Albert Park, and, probably, Albert Park and Austria. Yeah, Albert Park nice. and Austria. Nice, okay. RJ, mm, I'd, go, I'd go with um, Singapore and Albert Park in all honesty. With Suzuka like a hard third, because I would love to see oh, them yeah. just chuck it around the S's side by oh, side. Yeah. The run up to 130R, you know there'd be people going side by side like, go on, who's going to back off first? God. You know it, you know what I mean? Like, they're going to be side by side, like, looking over like, go on, you back off first, no you. <laughs> It'll be fun. So, I think that'll just about, actually, I can take one final question here. Uh, 
Evan Byrne, button underscore MK. How good is Daniel Ricardo's facial hair? Not as good it's because it's, it's not a fucking uh, let me kill Mr. Handlebar mustache gimmick like he had at Coda a couple of years True. back. And I was going to say it's not a Dan Seven. Yeah. But then again, few, few things are. So... <laughs> On that bombshell, few things are as awesome as Dan 7, particularly not Formula 1 at this point. But we've still had fun on tonight's show. We hope you have as well. Uh, thank you so much for locking into tonight's episode of Motorsport 101. Or whatever time of day you're listening to us, obviously. Uh, it's been Adam Johnson, uh, RJ O'Connell joining us. Thank you so much for coming along. RJ, where can the people find you? This is plug yes. away because we want you to plug because your stuff is yes. awesome. Um, um, you can find me on Twitter at RJ O'Connell. You can find my archive of YouTube voice acting stuff at youtube.com slash Rory James O'Connell. I have a Facebook page. I also run a Super GT blog called Super GT World. You can follow that at Super GT World on Twitter. Um, yeah, and it's probably one of the premier English language sources of GT. Only, it's the only one, really. <laughs> it's the only one? It's the only oh. One. <laughs> it's really the only one that, like, keeps up to date with, like, consistent coverage. Not to toot my own horn, but beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, it's an inspiration. I've I've been considering setting up a Supercars one, to be honest with you. Um, may trial it for next year, who knows, but it'll be based entirely off what you do on Super GT World, it's really, really good. Seriously, especially if you're a, do, a fan do, of the really, like, even, well-informed. God, yeah, and I don't God. even have a, UR, a proper U- domain name for it yet. <laughs> it's still just a WordPress blog. Yeah, and I, I'd love... I, I love I'd love a supercars vlog because I, I really need the translation from that Australian English. It's <laughs> it's like I, I don't I don't know how Sarah deals with Saskia every week. <laughs> Probably you just feel like a sort of like one of those Google Translate things just in the corner, just like just play uh, a bunch okay. of Outback Steakhouse commercials and, <laughs> and jab at them by saying signatures, sirloin steak. <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> all I, I like RJ to be fair all I want is a t-shirt of that thing you said you know the the spoof on the eat sleep race replace yes, um, the so Scott we McLaughlin talked about spoof this, like um Scott McLaughlin's favorite quote after the 2014 clips all 500 duel with uh I think it was like he mugged off Jamie yeah, Winkup yeah. yeah and he and he said uh just pl- His famous quote, you know, just yeah. pluck her in the first give it to Jandle fuck yeah I thought of like making a shirt <laughs> it's race driver swearing on telly oh my yes, goodness F1 just would have making a, fit. a shirt that says plucker jandle fuck yeah repeat <laughs> i'm gonna get that made i have you have my word so that's where you can find rj and all his awesome work seriously you should totally check him out king what about you sir yeah i'm the usual you here every week at but, you know. ryan eric king and that's, that's pretty much it yeah with two k's <laughs> That's just what you do now. Uh, you're working on your history of Grand Prix racing project. How's that going so far? I am fascinated to hear this. Like oh. I say, this is the guy who schools us on knowledge it, every week. So it is. If I had to give, like, just for you guys who listen to the podcast, if I had to give a tentative, tentative date for, like, when it's going to be a thing, because I'm actually working with someone for, like, graphics. So it's actually going to be, like, pretty cool when it's, when it's all said and done. Tentative date right now, March of next year, is. It's been a lot of research has gone into this, a lot of reading, a lot of looking up old shit. <laughs> <laughs> to it be fair, I'm kind of working on it. It's going to be a monster. I can't wait for it. I mean, like from from just like the little like just bits and making notes of all the big beats I want to hit. Like it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be years long. It's going to be years long, and I could say. I'm so hyped for it, even though it's so far away. 
<laughs> they're like this is this is you all over man like i can tell I, it does not surprise me you're so hyped for this and i'm looking forward to it too as i say king is the guy who schools us on motorsport knowledge most weeks um and I, actually i am working a little bit on a nowhere near as ambitious a project than myself but basically if anyone's seen on my youtube channel on team bomber sports and i've also got the gaming sister channel bomber sports plays um I, I've done classic race club reviews before on NASCAR races, influenced by, you know, Skellington and Cook Prod. Those guys were doing great stuff for Formula One races. Um, I'm actually doing a special feature length episode of that on what I believe is one of the greatest races of all time, the 2014 Bathurst 1000. it's the 2014 Bathurst 1000. <laughs> I'm so, I'm on brand, man. I'm, I'm that predictable, but I don't care. It's a story that if you have never heard it before, Hollywood would reject it for being too ridiculous it's a story of hubris, of stars, of legends falling on their swords, of names being made, and of Paul Morris winning at the mountain despite crashing at turn two. That's how ridiculous this race like was. Like the and track I... breaking was not even like the 10th most ridiculous <laughs> thing. That's an afterthought. <laughs> we forget about it. But yeah, I'm working on something like that. Uh, you can find myself uh, at AJ underscore Bomber Sports. And of course, in terms of social media for the podcast, you can find us on at Motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter. <laughs> forward slash motorsport one on one on Facebook uh, and on SoundCloud and on iTunes under similar names. And of course, if you do, if you've liked what you've heard here tonight and you fancy supporting us, go Throw check out the Patreon, see money. if there's anything over Throw there that takes your you. money. <laughs> don't let me spend <laughs> that money. No, don't, don't let me spend that. <laughs> no, don't give. <laughs> hey, hey, maybe would you just put... spend it on super GT diecasts. Hey man, I, I would I would easily cop for like a 97 Castrol Tom super to sit on my desk. <laughs> So would I, to be honest with you. Maybe we'll let you spend some money to get a donate domain name. Godness. <laughs> yeah, That's fair. Much. <laughs> oh, man. That's fair. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that has been episode 64 of Motorsport 101. Hopefully, Dre will be back with us next week. He'll be free from uh, bookie hell. And in the meantime, this has been Adam Johnson, RJ O'Connell, and Ryan Eric King. And we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Like I'm not really you are the world champion!